All right, January 2023 is back. Inappropriate Earl is back and fully functioning. It's going to be a whole new year of episodes. And whenever I can coax someone to come into my house, just tough to get strangers to come into your home. Uh, thank you guys for listening to the Comedy Store Wrestling Podcast. It's been fun. And speaking of that, we have maybe the first two-time Inappropriate Earl Comedy Store Wrestling guest. It's a crossover episode. You may know him from many legendary WWE matches. He's been a referee at maybe the greatest WrestleMania match of all time. Now think about that. Think of all the hundreds of amazing matches in WrestleMania history. Piper, Mr. T, Hogan, Warrior. Hogan, Yokozuna, well, maybe not that one, but this guy, Undertaker, Shawn Michaels. Put your wrestling hands together for Marty Elias. Wow, what an introduction. Thanks. I, I shortchanged you because I, I usually go longer. Yeah, man, you could have threw in Glow. You could have thrown in Lucha Underground. You could have threw in uh, AAA down in Mexico, Zero One. Shall I continue? No. Well, no, that's thank the thing. you, man. I appreciate that. I like really you have do. so many credits. Yeah, Young Rock now, which I love. Thank you. It's it's been it's been a blast doing that, man. Because it brings that's my favorite era of wrestling, the Attitude Era. Well, really, his dad, you know, Rocky Soul Johnson. Man. Yeah. Um, because that's you know I'm 54, so I grew up. Uh, you know, my prime era was watching when there was no internet. So it, wrestling wasn't ruined. It, it, was, it was such a different time back then when, like we discussed on the, the wrestling podcast, you know, it, it was, is kayfabe was real back then because when you did hear the rumors or you heard anything, it, it was all hearsay. And now with social media, you know, like we discussed, you know, social media gives it a different kind of flavor today. Well, it just, uh, I thought it was real when I was a kid. But like, so did I. To me, it's still real. Yeah, and when I and I'm not one of those guys who says, "Well, it's fake." I it's predetermined. But if it was fake, Biggie wouldn't have broke his neck. Uh, Sid wouldn't. I'm a big Sid guy, so I'll mention him probably a few times. Uh, broke his leg, you know. So um, I hate it when people call it fake because what they do in a ring is really as real as it gets. Almost it is. I mean, back when I was really running hard and. You know, if somebody used the F word like we used to make mention, you know, I had no problem going up and punching him in the face, you know, because to me it was real, you know. And and the reason I say that is, you know, I would never go insult somebody's way of living or the way that they feed their family or the way that they, you know, pay their bills. I mean, so how dare you disrespect what we do? when I would never go to your office or go to your home and insult you, you know, so why are you going to insult what I do for a living? Well, the injuries, and I'm sure you've seen firsthand. I've had injuries myself. Yeah. I mean, the refs are getting injured. Yeah, absolutely. I've been concussed. I've been knocked out. I've had teeth knocked out and chipped and everything else. So yeah, it, it is real. And, you know, I like to quote Kevin Nash, you know, the miles are real. miles. That stuff is real, man. When you had to drive 300 miles to the next town with five guys in the car, you know, that was real. 
I mean, I've done those drives for comedy gigs, and I always say comedy's like wrestling without the physical pain. Um, there might be more actually mental pain in comedy just because constant rejection. Yeah, and you know, I think that's why I'm a big comedy fan because I can relate to those guys. I mean, that's why I love the Richard Pryors or Robin Williams. And, you know, for Robin Williams, you know, when he passed, I mean, that was sad. I mean, he took his own life, you know, but if you really look at that from a outsider's point of view, you, you see nothing wrong with that. You know, Robin Williams was this legend, comedian, movie star, whatever. And, you know, he took his own life. But again, you never know what's happening with somebody. And, you know, I, I got no qualms about telling people about my depression and stuff that I've gone through, man, where, you know, th there, there was a moment where I literally was going to check out. And to me, mental health is, is a big thing and it is something to deal with. And, you know, I have no problem sharing with folks, my own personal experience with depression, anxiety, and all of the above. And people would think, well, you're at the top of your field, which is a very tough field to get into. Like, I don't think people really realize a uh, pro wrestling referee, like WWE, AEW, New Japan. Uh, you know, there's not many. There's only like, say, an AEW. I, I'm a bit of an AEW mark. Oh, I, I get it. I'll say there's, you know, thinking about it, there's maybe five refs. You know, there's Aubrey and uh, the. There's Bryce, there's Rick Knox, there's right. uh, Mike Posey, and I believe it's Paul Taylor who's the other guy. Yeah. So, you know, five refs. Yeah. Uh, WWE, I'm sure it's about the same. You maybe yeah. a little more. Yeah, they got NXT referees. They have SmackDown, and they have Raw referees. I when when I was attempting to get in and stuff, you know, I, I I did try out for ECW one time, and I did something with WCW '96, late '96. But I, I did have a, a dark match with WWF back around '96, '97, and when WWE bought and consume WCW, they were the only game in town. And during that time is when I made it and I got signed to WWE. So for me at that point, there was really only maybe five referees yeah. at that time. And I was fortunate enough that I made it during that time when WWE was the only game in town. So for me, I like to give myself a pat on the back and go, Hey man, you made it when there was only one company really running. So. Because I think, you know, when I first started uh, watching wrestling, there was uh, Danny Davis. It was like the first uh, the evil, evil ref. Evil ref, yeah. Uh, and then, uh, it's hard to really think. Of. I mean, Nick Patrick. You Nick know, Patrick was a heel for a minute, you um, know, when he did the NWO stuff. Charles Robinson. Little Nates. Yeah, Little Nates. Uh, and then the Hebner brothers, uh, you know, obviously. Yeah, and then, you know, you had Tim White doing his sketches right. as well. And you know, various referees have have done things throughout the year and stuff or years. And, you know, I, I always think it's great when they bring referees to the forefront and, you know, show that referees can do more than just referee. I do like it when they're involved in a storyline. Uh, um, like Danny Davis was, uh, I, I hated him. <laughs> he was a great, I, he's probably the nicest guy I, yeah, he is. And, you know, when, when you hate somebody like that and they're generating heat, that means they're doing their job. Yeah. I mean, like when I was the co-host of Roddy Piper's podcast toward the end of his life, was, you know, uh, I think Roddy was at the comedy store one night. And I was, it's not really a joke. I was doing how angry I was about Sting. Uh, 
his uh, debut in the WWE still bothers me nine years later. Yeah, it still gets to you. It still gets under your skin. You know, I just, I had such high hopes for that storyline. Just he was the last WCW guy. He never went over to the dark side of the big corporate evil empire. And uh, started off nice. Triple H put him over in the first, uh, you know, what was it? Fast lane where he, he took the scorpion death drop like he had gotten shot by a cannon. And then, you know, the match was, you know, I don't know how you feel about a match's final outcome, but I just like it to make sense, even though I know it's predetermined. So, like, um, in that match, when the NWO came down to save Sting, I was like, well, they were mortal enemies. This isn't really adding up to me. And and then E-Generation X came out. And I, I get it was done for... It was oh, done for nostalgia. 100%. But I still would have liked to make a little bit more sense than that. Yeah. And, and you know, you, you got to figure, you know, with wrestling the way it is. And again, WCW was gone for a long time by that point. You know, and then Sting coming in and then showing Hogan and Nash and Hall. And, you know, because those two factions were the factions that were at the height of the Attitude Era. Right. So... I get their point as far as like showcasing them because that was pretty much what, what, what it was going to be. It wasn't going to be what they did back in that time and stuff because, you know, they were all up in age at that point. But for me as a fan of that era and the attitude era and the Monday night wars, as a fan of that, to see that all come to head at a WrestleMania, was very cool. It was neat. Like, I will say, like, when Shawn Michaels super kicks thing, I don't believe they'd ever been in the ring together. Ever. Uh, that yeah. I can recall. Yeah. That their past. No, nothing. Crossed, you so. know, because Sting was always a NWA, WCW guy. And, you know, those guys never crossed paths at all. I mean, the only ones would be Nash, Hall, and Hogan. And again, Starcade 97 is when it was Sting and Hogan. But. No, none of those guys had been in the ring together, especially the Sean and Triple H and stuff. So to see the DX thing and see the, the whole NWO thing come together and finally see it on the grandest, the grandest stage of them all was pretty cool as a fan. Now, as a referee, you mentioned Starcade 97, uh, which I think is the last great buildup to a match, I've, which is sad. Cause it's 97. That's what I went to USC, so my mouth's a little off. Is that uh, 25 years ago? Is that, or is that 35 years? Yeah, it's been a minute. But, you know, the way they, um, I don't think Sting, They build it. They build it forever, which was nice. For nine months. It yeah. was like uh, vignettes and Sting not talking and uh, Hogan <laughs> overacting a little bit sometimes. But it was really well done, That almost so well done that the match didn't live up to the the nine-month build-up but as a ref do you like it when there's a a big build-up like something like that because nowadays the storyline seems so maybe they take a month to build it up yeah and you know storyline wise i mean you know when they're building to something you know to have a big blow off or you know maybe they're building to a match and then they're going to have maybe two or three matches down the line where you finally get a blow off you know and normally blow-offs are in cage matches or Hell in the Cells or whatever, Last Man Standing. But, you know, I've always been a fan of the buildup because, right. you know, I want to see the good guy get his stuff and then the bad guy shut him down and and vice versa. So for me, I've always been a fan of buildup. So when they finally touch each other, 
and you see them throwing blows and the good guy getting the best of them and the bad guy shutting them down. To me, that that's what always drew me in is, is just to seeing the build and see where they were going with stuff. And, you know, as a fan, you know, you want to get that. You want to get invested with the characters. And I've always been one that I always want to get invested. Yeah, because I think uh, in a lot of matches today, and really I'll, I'll say both companies, meaning WWE and AEW, uh, and there's certainly many more, TNA and New Japan. And the, the I don't care who wins or loses. Oh, this took them. They didn't, in most cases, they don't take a month. It's just a, a, a random two-week build-up. And okay, it's Jay Lethal against uh, you know Jeff Jarrett. But I don't, know. I don't care who wins or loses. Like, yeah, yeah. And for me, you know, like I said, I mean, I I'll watch stuff here and there, but but like I mentioned, you know, on on the other podcast, you know, I, I'm not invested. Maybe I should be a lot more invested in it because, you know, I, I like helping a lot of kids today. Uh, and, of course, like we discussed, I help Aubrey and I help some other folks at NXT and other places. But, you know, I, I, I don't have the opportunity to see as much wrestling as I want to. But I do hear good stuff about MJF and other folks who were there, which I, I really want to see those guys succeed because if both companies succeed, then we're all winners. Yeah, because like with MJF, they they took taken. Sorry, the, the USC English class is coming out. Uh, they've really built him up to be a great heel, and they've taken their time and they've given him nice feuds with CM Punk and and you know with the big guy Wardlow. He, he's like Goldberg Jr. I guess you know they're kind of making him into this undestructible monster. Uh, so I'm invested in him now. Like I I I wouldn't say I hate him, but like. He's great on the mic. He's a really good wrestler. Uh, but some of the other guys, they, they haven't really built up, so I don't care. Like, you know, um, You're not invested. Yeah, like with MJF, I am invested. Yeah. Kenny Omega, invested. invested yeah. um, you know, in WWE, uh, the, you know, they invest me, but then, and I understand there's hundreds of wrestlers signed to contracts. You can't give everyone 15 minutes on TV, but uh, like I'm a big Kevin Owens guy, uh, but then he kind of seems to be in and out of he's hot. And then he's in a program with Elias who I love Elias, uh, you know, every now and then I like a good humor. Uh, and that's Elias E L I A S, right? Yes. Yes. Hmm. They, well, wait, well, are you named or is he named after you? I have no idea how that came up, but you know, it's great to see my name out there. I mean, he's someone who strikes me. Do you know anything about him? Like zero. Um, do you know who he is? So like, I, I've never met him. I've never, I, I've watched a couple things here and there when he first came out. And cause I was just curious, Elias, gee, I wonder where they got that name from. But you know, it, it's one of those things, you know, I, I, again, I wasn't invested in it. I was just cool to see the, the name Elias and going, Hmm, I wonder where they got that from. But you know, I, I haven't seen much of what he's done. He's very part. funny. Um, but he's also so good. I'd like to see him in a, it, you know, he's a pretty good wrestler for a big, he's like a bigger macho man. Like he, he and he kind of looks like him. Uh, I'm surprised uh, they haven't brought him in on the y Young Rock uh, to maybe, because they have another macho man. Right? Yeah. Um, Kevin, who's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I will say whoever's casting uh, the Young Rock, they, they've done a great job. Like the Hogan. Uh, yeah, dude, we, we Cindy Lauper is uh, Becky Lynch, man. 
That's amazing. Rock. Yeah. Um, now on Young Rock, as you can tell, this podcast is different than Comedy Store Wrestling. I jump around a lot. I love it. I don't plan one question. So Let's I literally, in three minutes, I have no idea what we're going to be talking it's about. It's all good. I'm here for you. I'm more into the two guys in the bar. Just, yeah. um, Let's have a drink. So in Young Rock, what is your role? Uh, since you know these guys, are you a technical consultant? I'm a, my, my working title is wrestling ring technician. Uh, but have I consulted? Have I given input? Yeah. You know, I, I, I uh, give feedback to Chavo and, you know, Brian Gowitz, who's, you know, Rock's guy. And we worked with him at WWE and talking to the producers and stuff, you know. So, you know, I'm, like I said, you know, I, I'm the onset mark. And what I mean by that is, you know, that I look for continuity. I look for timeline stuff, you know. For example, there was one scene where we were shooting Rock versus um, Mankind when Rock injured his knee. We recreated that scenario. And there was a Foley is God sign <laughs> with the background actors. And I spotted that. And I went, whoa, wait a minute. Foley, the name Foley wasn't until 99, 2000. And we were shooting 1997. So, you know, I went to the set dresser and the folks and I said, hey, you know, that wasn't uh, time time period right. you know, accurate because Foley is God and you know Foley all that other good stuff. He didn't come out until maybe ninety nine, two thousand, two thousand one. So again, we were shooting ninety seven. So just those little things like that, you know, I'm aware of it because you know producers and and folks, Chavo included, you know, they're focusing more on shots and camera angles and the choreographing of, of making sure that we're getting, you know, the right shot. So with stuff like that, you know, I've spoken to the showrunners and the producers and stuff. And I said, Hey, you know, how accurate do you guys want to be with timeline and, and uh, continuity? And they said, well, we want to be as close as we can. So again, you're going to have a Hollywood spin to it because you know, that's what you do. But for me, you know, I, I love being on set and, and helping out and just being there for them because you know, like I said, I'm a fan. I live, eat, and breathe the business, and the business consumed me for years and years and years. And you know, that's why I'm divorced today. But um, you know, it, it's still it's still within me. It's a fabric of who I am. I've tried to get every girlfriend I've had the last ten years to watch wrestling, and they just, you know, if you know, you know. Like it, it's yeah. it's an old saying, but it, it's a male soap opera. It is. It um, is. I think where I lost my girlfriends were the bra and panty matches and some of the ECW. Which they don't do anymore. Well, that I would imagine is why Sting took so long to not go to WWE. Being a man of faith now, I'm sure he was like, ah, yeah, I don't know about that. Uh, I think I'll stay in TNA. Yeah, you know, when they went to PG-14, you know, it, it, was, it was a different time, you know. And I actually posted something the other day, and I didn't realize it until I posted it or it came back to me is that Shawn Michaels and uh, Chris Jericho had a match in 2008 at the great American bash in New York and on Long Island, Nassau Coliseum. And Shawn bled like a pig and he bled all over. I mean, it, it was, it was a stoppage, but that match is the match that actually stopped blood in WWE and from that point on is when they decided to go to the PG-14. And that was like the last time that they did blood that was officially 
given the go ahead. So, you know, to be a part of that, that history is kind of cool too. Is um, blood, were they afraid like they would lose sponsors? Like, yeah, at, at that point when I was there, uh, WWE was looking to go more mainstream, more national, you know, because, you know, when you do that, again, it's sponsorships, it's, you know, who's, who's watching it, you know, younger kids were watching it. Parents, you know, didn't want their kids seeing that blood or, or whatever the bra and panty matches. But again, it was something that a corporation did and WWE is a conglomerate that it is today. And, you know, things change like that, you know? Uh, and again, is it good for business? Financially, yes, you know, but for the old school guys who love the blood and, and you know, the edgy stuff, you know, it, it was something that WWE went in a different direction and, you know, God bless them because, you know, they're WWE and they're the conglomerate and they've been doing great stuff ever since. But there's also some companies that do uh, cater to that, uh, I guess you'd call it a niche uh, segment of the wrestling community who likes the, the more violent stuff like XPW. Yeah, and, you know, old school ECW, you know, where there was everything and anything, you know, kendo sticks, blood, barbed wire. I mean, with Lucha Underground, we, we actually did a lot of that stuff too, you know, when Pentagon and Mari the Moth had their match. Remember that, Brian? You know, we Brian Metz here, bro, who's my bro here. Yes, Brian, uh, say uh, you're going to have to share the mic for this, but just uh, there is a third party, uh, like a mystery tag partner. Uh, who are you? Uh, I'm just Brian. I'm just a friend of Marty's. Uh, we, we came up with Lucha Underground together. And we love wrestling. We love rock and roll. We have lit, we figured over the last few years or many years that we've lived alternate, parallel, I would say, yeah. parallel lifestyles with not knowing each other coming up in LA. We've done a lot of the same things. I'm sure we were at a lot of the same shows, whether they were wrestling shows or rock and roll gigs. We were there together, not even knowing each other, but I'm just here to support and see him while he's in town. So uh, yeah, I didn't know I was gonna be dragged in, but you know. It's I'm all here good. For it. I'm uh, here for it. You know, if I was, uh, if you were on the Rogan podcast, we'd all have uh, microphones, but uh, this is a, uh, Low budget uh, podcast. It's a low pocket. It's just the ECW podcast. Like we should not be in business, but um, well, Lucha Underground. I was uh, in charge of the talent. I started as uh, back when it first first season one. It was just two of us running the whole talent department, um, and then the final season, season four. I would as the talent producer. I ran. We had. 50 cast members up in there and uh i was in charge of making sure they get to the the venue they get the tapings they their flights coming in and out their meals everything yeah and then uh marty gave me a hand that last season uh, i needed pulled him on i needed some people and uh he had a great background and he knows everything and anyone in wrestling so uh yeah he gave me a hand doing that but running all those crazy people and loving what they're doing now. Like all the Lucha Underground people that are out there now, Penta and Phoenix are killing it. You know, we just, uh, you know, everyone, Kevin Cross, who is, you know, in WWE now as, you know, as Karrion Cross is yeah, killing it. Like, so a lot of them, I like seeing like, they're like, I feel like they're my kids, you know, they, they, they're out there now doing great things and becoming big names and, you know, I like to think, you know, I have a little bit of part of that because, 
you know, had the little hatched as eggs and on Lucha Underground. Now they're, you know, flew the coop and doing amazing things. So I'm super proud to, to have been part of Lucha Underground. We, you know, captured lightning in a bottle with that show and everyone wants it to come back in some point. I don't think it ever will, but you know, we did really good things and I was glad to do it side by side with Marty. We'll never say never. I mean, I've just started going to XBW shows again, which uh, it's more extreme uh, wrestling, I would say. Like it's there's some uh, matches I have to turn my head on. I like the violent stuff, but uh, you know, Sandman and a kendo stick, not you know XBW. Uh, and they do get some fairly big names, like uh, John Morrison's wife. Uh, yeah, she is, the, I think, their women's champion. Right. Uh, I'm assuming. I would love to be a fly in the wall when she negotiates her XBW because I think she's uh, match by match, uh, right? Yes. Basis, and you know, I, I would imagine she'll be like Rob, Rob Black, the owner, who's yeah. a very controversial figure in the world of wrestling. Uh, hey, I'll do this, this, and that, but I'm not bleeding. So you have someone else do that, but you know she's gotten into that. She's gone a little hardcore in the last. So I, yeah, um, she's done some matches where you know she got some color, and I thought it was great because I never thought I'd see her do it. But yeah, they um, had Brian Cage uh, on a recent card. I'm like, that's a big name for XPW. Yeah, uh, yeah. and I'm sure it was. I would have loved to have been on that phone call when Rob was like, "Hey, do you mind getting a little color?" And Brian Cage was like, "Yeah, I do mind." Uh, (laughs) Yeah. You can have uh, Angel, who's their iconic. Uh, he's one of the last of the original XPW guys who still wrestles. Uh, I won't say his uh, character because it's. Uh, I don't want to get Marty in trouble with just. <laughs> it, Angel plays a um, a very effeminate man, but he's a great wrestler. Uh, of course, I'm partial to uh, Santana Jackson, who is he wrestles as basically michael jackson right that's the all he's a great wrestler yeah. i mean great to me like, yeah um but then again i thought the warrior was amazing and he had four moves uh so uh you know there seems to be a resurgence of giving um every kind of wrestling fan a niche that they can if you want the i don't want to say corporate but if you want the normal type wrestling you have wwe and aw and then you know new japan gets a little bit more into not the violence but like the realistic wrestling in terms of uh like it actually looking like a shoot match and then you can go to lucha underground which was more of a uh has a just a fan it was like like a play almost like the storyline definitely yeah yeah definitely more fantasy based yeah definitely and also Game Changer Wrestling, GCW, they do those real, you know, yeah. intense fights with, you know, throwing the, you know, barbed wire and weapons and all that. They get down with that, too. So those are, you know. Yeah, like Nick Cage, yeah. uh, you know, who's a, uh, he's one of the few people I've met in life, not just wrestling, that scares me. Like, yeah, he's like the king of the hardcore. But the way he, uh, of course, this is an audio-only podcast, so I don't know why I'm doing this, but the, like his his... Uh, I don't know if it's a persona or if it's just him uh, where he just walks around like he's ready to hit you. Right. Um, yeah. But he's very nice. Uh, he, I met him at the Ric Flair roast. He was very uh, humble almost and quiet. And uh, yeah, I feel bad guys being a fan sometimes because I know what these guys and girls are putting their bodies through. 
and you know a lot of our and in your guys cases friends and in my case i'm just a fan of them usually you know they passed away at such a young age you know least young to me like rick rude dying at i think uh, 44 or something like that because he was entertaining me right and it, it, he got a, you know addiction problems because the pain and like sometimes i feel guilty I, I, let me ask you guys this has a fan should I feel like I feel like sometimes I'm cheering them on to an early death because give me the high flying spots, give me, you know, uh, Vic Grimes falling off a scaffold, you know, just so I can go, oh my god, that was amazing. Do it again. Right. Like, that goes back to you know what you guys were talking about earlier with uh, it being fake. Like it's that shit ain't real. Like I'm not gonna lie. Oh, I'll seeing it. Believe real, it. Yeah. Okay. Good. You um, do whatever you want the, to get ratings. Fake, yeah. The f word. You know, fake. But we've seen firsthand all of us if we're fans or we're in it we're what they put their bodies through and the injuries that they do because they all want to be better than the next guy so they're like oh you did this i'm gonna do this and that's what we saw a lot in lucha underground which got scary was oh someone would see someone do a movie like all right well next time watch what i'm gonna fucking do you know um and yeah they put their bodies out there and it's you know yeah like you said it's predetermined it's but it's far from fake and yeah all the injuries we see and all the you know, uh, you see all these legends that can barely walk now because what they put their bodies through, you know. Well, it's... I cried. I mean, I'm a 54-year-old man. You wouldn't think I would cry, but I cried four times at the Ric Flair roast because, uh, you know, I walked by this. Backstage was like, I felt like I was, and I, it's probably the wrong way to put this, I felt like I was on a Make-A-Wish dream weekend for me. Like, I'm, I'm meeting Ric Flair at, and then I walk by this pretty big dude in a wheelchair, and I'm like, oh, that looks familiar. And I start walking. That's Magnum TX. And I, I got down on one knee so he wouldn't have to look up because he's pretty, you know, messed up. I thought I was going to ask him to marry him, uh, and I start crying like because I just I remember him in this physical form, you know, when he was wrestling Nikita Koloff and like, and. And he was so nice. I said, hey, let me get you some water because I just didn't want him to see him cry. And I cried when I talked to Bully Ray. Because I, I don't know about you guys, but when I remember things, um, it's like a movie goes off in my head. I, I see it. Like when I think of you rapping Undertaker and Shawn Michaels, I can see it in my brain right now. Like there's a movie theater in my brain. And uh, I just started seeing Bully Ray's matches and all the table spots and, you know, I mean, Marty, should I feel guilty, like, being a fan sometimes? No, and, and you know, and again, this is just my humble opinion. Nobody is asking these guys to do these things or girls. You know, it, again, it goes back to even real life. There's choices. So some folks choose to do this, and, you know, do they get asked? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because even when we were at Lucha Underground, we would ask specific folks, you know, hey, you want to do this and correct me if I'm wrong, Brian, but didn't we have like uh hazard pay that, that we would pay certain <laughs> folks, yeah. you know, if they took a, a, a big bump or they were getting excessive color or something like that, th there was like an added bonus to that. And that's something that we did at Lucha Underground. So again, to me, I don't feel bad. And that's me personally, because being involved with it, I know that it's nobody's really twisting anybody's arm to do these types of things. You know, are they asked? Yeah, but again, it, it's up to them. 
And one of the things, you know, that I loved about WWE and Vince McMahon was that there wasn't anything that Vince wouldn't do that he wouldn't ask you to do. He did. Like, I will say it's very rare where you would see a CEO or his son, Shane, yeah. who's taking some crazy bumps. Like, yeah. you know, I do respect that uh, about Vince and Shane. And even Stephanie took like a... Yeah, uh, she took some bumps. She took a power bomb, I think, from... Uh, Uma, well, Uma, he became Umaga, but he was Rosie and Jamal, yeah. uh, you know. Three-minute warning. Oh, that's my favorite. Uh, yeah. Eki was so amazing, Umaga. It was great working with him, man. And, you know, w- one of the funniest things that I remember, uh, SummerSlam 2006, we were in Boston, and he was wrestling Kane. And I'll never forget this. It was the funniest shit. Uh, Kane had come out in Big Red Machine. Pyro goes off, everything else. And, and back then, the, the set was like an aluminum grate where, you know, it was more like all the grating and stuff like that. So there was pyro underneath the stage. And so when Kane came out, all that, all the flames and all the fire and everything came up. And, of course, they, they held it there for 10 seconds, 15 seconds. So that aluminum was getting hot. <laughs> and if you go back and you look at it, Umaga, when he made his entrance, he came out and big Samoan bulldozer and and he's standing there on the stage and he stands there and Umaga wrestled barefoot. So he goes and he's standing making his entrance and he stands on the stage. And if you look at it, he starts getting hot feet. (laughs) So you can see him where that aluminum grate was on fire because Kane had just come out and he went maybe 30 seconds later and stood on these hot grates that were engulfed in flames like 30 seconds before. So for me, it was one of the funniest things that I've ever saw, especially with Eki. Yeah, he was, uh, you know, another one who, you know, gone too soon. Yeah. He, he was amazing in the ring. I mean, he was one of the biggest, fastest agile guys that I was ever in the ring with, man. I've been in the ring with a lot of big guys, but he was somebody that you just went, Oh my God, this guy is amazing. And, you know, he was agile as a cat. He could turn and catch you and just move that like nobody else could. Yeah, it is kind of neat to see that out of a bigger guy. Like, you know, when I was growing up, Barry Wyndham to me was like, my God, this guy's 6'6, 300. And, you know. Yeah. And, you know, like to see all these guys do this type of stuff, you know, these guys are pure athletes, is what they are, you know. And again, it works both ways with women and men. You know, they're, they're athletes, and not just anybody can do professional wrestling at that level. You know, you, you need to have some sort of background to you in order to do this. I mean, Undertaker played basketball. Kevin Nash played basketball. You know, Shawn Michaels played football. I mean, you know, all these guys, Eki, he played football as well. But all these guys, Macho Man, he was a baseball player. That's the funniest because you, I mean, baseball is a tough sport too. Like yeah. those guys uh, don't get the credit for being as tough as they are. Uh, but you wouldn't think baseball would lead into a pro wrestling career, especially yeah. one as successful as. Yeah, Macho Man. You know, and, and, you know, a lot, of, a lot of folks in wrestling or during my time, and I hate saying that, my time, my, a lot of those guys were athletes, man. And they just fell in love with professional wrestling and, you know, wrestling consumed them. And, you know, they, they were able to be successful in the wrestling field, which was amazing to see. 
Yeah, I don't think you could be a non-athlete and be a successful wrestler. Even the bigger guys, like, you know, we were talking before we started, Akeem, the one-man gang. Yeah. He wasn't maybe the most nimble guy, but, like, still incredibly strong and, and uh, you know, pretty good uh, movement for, for 400 Big, big boss man, Ray Trailer. he was the same way, man. Yeah. One, I mean, one of the sweetest guys you were ever going to meet uh, as far as big boss man because you saw the character, you seen – but he was such a sweet giant. And I remember meeting him and talking to him numerous times. And he, he was completely different from his personas and stuff. And it was cool to see that. It is when you, you know, you, you probably get bored meeting these guys. You know, no, I love it. I love seeing my brothers and sisters, you know, you know, because the, the thing that I love is, you know, with this world and the environment, the wrestling world and stuff, you know, I, can go maybe a few years without seeing somebody specific. But when I see them, it's like we pick up right where we left off, man. Like a day hasn't passed by and we're boys and we, we pick up and, you know, the family or whatever. And we start talking about life or the business or where we're at today, you know? So again, there's guys that I haven't seen in ages, but again, I can see them. We can pick up right where we left off. And that's one of the things that I love about the professional wrestling world is that you're able to do that. And, you know, regardless if you don't see each other for years at a time, you know, you're still brothers. Cause it is hard to keep up with, you know, comedy is very similar where, uh, you know, it's a big, big planet we live on and there's wrestling and comedy in every country. And so it's hard to keep up with your friends because, you know, you're in LA, you know, refing and then they're in J new Japan in a match or, or, you know, yeah brazil or wherever and yeah you know like going down to mexico in october for triple mania i mean that was the first time that i saw a lot of people johnny and taya and yeah first time i'd seen penta and phoenix since lucha underground and you know to see those guys even though i've texted with them and you know have talked to them from time to time but to see them physically in person and you know it, it was a minute and you know again to see folks in person it's not like it was, especially since COVID took over the world and things are completely different with the world. But it was crazy to finally see these guys after, what, four or five years. And, wow, we just picked up right where we left off because we're boys. I mean, I love seeing Penta and Phoenix being put over right now uh, with, with the Young Bucks and Omega. You know, they're, they're doing a best of seven series. Yeah. And uh, I think it. I'm excited because AEW is out here on January 11th and the, the seventh match is there, which I always kind of expected. They would. Um, but it's neat to see them get a little shine. because Oh, yeah. You know, like Brian said earlier, man, it, it's so amazing to see our kids being elevated like that and, and becoming superstars. You know, like for Penta, he did the mask versus mask versus Villano 4. And by him defeating Villano and taking his mask, I mean, that made him a superstar in Mexico. That, that's huge. And, you know, to see these guys have the success, I mean, because, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, Brian, but remember when these guys came, they were broke. They'd never been to In-N-Out. They'd never been here. And, you know, they went through a lot just growing and, and learning because both of those guys didn't speak anything of English. And to see them today and speaking English and talking and communicating and becoming, you know, the, the veterans that they are, it, it, it's cool to take a step back and just see that and just go like, man, I'm so happy for these fucking guys. 
Well, I did a comedy show for them at their shop in Pasadena, Republic of Lucha. Yeah. And I remember when they first came up, they couldn't speak English. And so when I, I'm doing my jokes, and it's all wrestling-based jokes, uh, they both came up to me and said, hey, you're really funny. And I'm like, what are you guys doing speaking English? Like, I, I didn't know they could. Like, It's like when I met Kamala, I, I, I really thought he was from Uganda. Sugar Bear Harris. Yeah, I met him at the Olympic Auditorium, which is now a Korean church off of five. But. Oh, that place was so amazing, man. Uh, I, yeah. I actually got to work there. Really? A few times, yeah. Uh, 2000, I worked for a promotion called uh, uh, Universal Wrestling Association. No, Urban Wrestling Association is what it was. It was a wrestling promotion that was, it, it just catered to minor, minorities. And it was based off of that. And they had a TV deal with KCOP Channel 13 back in the day, back in 2000 and stuff. And we filmed, I think, 15 episodes there. And it was completely different. Again, it was based off of different cultures and, and backgrounds and stuff. So it, it was cool. And, and I remember doing that. And we shot everything at the Grand Olympic. And, you know, being there, it, it was great. I remember kiss even did crazy nights video there too yeah i remember going there and, and being a part of the the crazy nights video shoot that was there at the grand olympic auditorium it's funny you mentioned that because uh, if you're a comedy store fan you know who don barris is and uh, don is the uh, legendary late night closer he's he's the guy who closes out pretty much every show now he did the audience warm-up for that video and uh you know you couldn't pick it he does the audience warm-up for jimmy kimmel now but uh, if you were to pick one person on planet earth to do audience warm-up for a kiss video it's don barris uh, so yeah i mean i i think the last show i went to at, uh, at the olympic auditorium was unfortunately it was an xbw show when they were kind of dying and, and so it was yeah you know it, it was like maybe a hundred people Ouch. I, I remember at the, the grand olympic auditorium yeah Ooh. so you know that i would say that Going back, uh, I would say that probably sat three or four thousand people, may maybe more, maybe maybe five when they um, really just, you know, it was the equivalent of seeing a comic go on in front of three people. And I just remember the, the last match was the Sandman with the Major Guns. So this is I always had a crush on mm -hmm. Major Guns. Uh, has his valet, and it was just, you could literally hear fans talking across the arena, like, "Hey, Bill, how you doing?" I'm like, "Oh boy." That's that's very similar to what Kiss did on the Creatures of the Night tour, you know? Well, yeah, we're going to get into music now because that's a very good uh, crossover. I just had one more wrestling question. Absolutely. I'm lying. I probably have a thousand more. Uh, have you ever been in the ring and a, a wrestler got over in that match? Like, did you say to yourself, it could be a girl too? Wow, they're over right now. Beth Phoenix. And how, how did you know just the, the vibe in the arena was like, she, she did it. She, she worked her ass off, man. And I remember when she first came in for OVW, you know, um, she, she didn't look like any of the other girls. You know, she was a lot bigger. And, you know, she came in at a time when they were really pushing the divas and they were doing the diva search and stuff. So it was a lot of models and pinups. And, oh, I remember. And, so Beth came in at a time when they were really going in that direction and stuff. And she stood out um, because of her size and because of who she was and, and the way she worked. And, you know, I always commend girls 
that when I see them work and I see them work like guys, I go, wow, you're going to get older. Oh, how come? I said, because you work like a guy does. And, and, and Beth was really on that path. And to see her do the house shows and, and to get over and, and to really just start building that heel character and just dominating all these divas at that time, you know, she was mowing through them because they build her. And she literally slowly but surely graduated into being that top heel. And I was her referee for her very first ever title win in Chicago at No Way Out pay-per-view in 2007. And uh, I remember one, two, three, she, she gets up, she's, she's excited. And as I go to grab the title, I, I go and I grab her hand to raise her hand and I look at her and she's bawling and she's a heel. And I turned to her and I said, don't fucking cry. And she looked at me and she, you know, gained her composure and she's like, but it was a great moment to see her progress the way she did coming in from OVW and stuff. And then she started developing that Glamazon character and stuff. And then to see her ultimately win that title and shit, she's in the hall of fame now, man. So it, it was, it was a lot of fun to see that happen and where she's at now. So yeah, hats off to her. Well, it's funny you said that about crying uh, when MJF won the title. No, his don't get any more of a heel than he is right now. He's, it's like, I think why I like him is he's part like Mr. Perfect. You can tell he pays respect, right? And he's heavily influenced by guys from our era. You know, a little bit of Rick Rude, Mr. Yeah. Perfect. Um, got the cowardly heel thing going on. And, uh, you, you can tell he almost wanted to cry because he was this 26 year old kid. You know, he's probably all those memories of, to himself watching wrestling with his parents or whoever he watched it with. And he's like, okay, I can't cry. I'm, I'm, I gotta say something to me. I gotta call someone fat in the crowd. I, you know, and he did kind of do that. And scene. <laughs> yeah, and you know, winning a title, man, that, that that's huge, especially winning it in a major company like WWE or AEW or New Japan or, or Mexico. I mean, titles, titles mean something. And what I mean by that is that the company is putting their faith in you. Right. Like, for example, when Cena first won his title, I mean, they were going to make him the face of the company. Same thing they did with Hogan. Same thing with Macho. And, and any champion that they put the title on, kill or babyface, is that you're going to be the face of the company. So when they say, who's the WWE champ, you go, well, John Cena was. Oh, Randy Orton was. You know, And winning those titles, the company's putting – their faith in the machine behind you, so to speak. So, yeah, it's a big fucking deal. Oh, especially in the WWE. Yeah. I still want to call it the WWF. Uh, even when Warrior won, like, against Hogan. WrestleMania six, Which is, you know, I lied. This could be another question before we get into music. No, uh, please. Um, and I think I approached it with you on the, the Comedy Store podcast. You know, Hogan and Warrior still talk about it to this day uh, in terms of you know great wrestlemania matches and, and it's not Shawn michaels undertaker because you know with that match that you rep they're both great wrestlers uh but with hogan warrior you know and warrior's my all-time favorite no disrespect but he wasn't exactly known as a great wrestler he wasn't a five-star match put it that way 
But with Hogan, it almost was. You think it's Hogan and Warrior was like putting two bad actors in a movie, and it's a good movie. Like it should not have worked. But they, and I'll assume Hogan called the match. Uh, That match, they actually worked on that match for about a month before they actually did it. But who's help? Who's like guiding them? Like a a Pat Patterson. Pat Patterson. Um, And I would imagine with egos, I'll just assume. Uh, Hogan and Warrior at that point of their life had egos. You know, if you go back and you look at that match, Hogan kicked out around two and nine point five. If you look at that, I didn't like that. Yeah, so you know he did it. But and I would imagine he knew he was doing the job. He he knew because Vince was going in a different direction with Warrior, and Warrior was super over at that time. You know, to me, when I see that match, I mean that was like the accumulation of just you know two of the biggest baby faces. At that time, you know, Hogan and Warrior, Warrior was the IC champ and Hogan was the world champ. And to see those guys, but to see Warrior come out and he just looked fucking cool, man. <laughs> He's like Bon I mean, Jovi on Royce. Yeah. I mean, to see his entrance and then he had the the Warrior symbol uh, on his chest and his colors and he just looked fucking cool, man. And then Hogan coming out and, you know, two of the biggest stars at that time, you know, colliding at at WrestleMania in the main event at Sky Dome was amazing, man. I, I still go back and I look at it just, even though the match wasn't, you know, a five-star match, whatever, but just character-wise, it, 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 you were invested. And I, I remember my, my little brother, Ruben, he told me, you know, we, we, we were talking about matches the other day, and he goes, it wasn't fair for WWF to put that much pressure on a six-year-old, you know, because it was Hogan, it was Warrior, man. And everybody loved both, so you know you didn't want to see any of them lose. But that I think, I think it's probably part of the reason why we still talk about the match today is it was really the first time baby faces had gone at each other like that. Usually it was just a standard, you know, Roddy Piper, the evil heel, yeah. you know, maybe the greatest heel of all time, uh, arguably against Hogan, the Vitamins, and yeah, Eat, say, your say prayers, prayers brother, and, and all that other no. good stuff, man. So, uh, but you know, when I think my most memorable, uh, memory of that match is the exhausted look on warrior's face. Cause you could, you could tell he was the history of that belt and now it's his, yeah. um, and maybe it didn't, the run didn't work out as, as best as it could, but, uh, you know, it, it's, no, it was big. It was big. Yeah. I mean, I just, I don't know. I wish his run. I mean, he had a better run than most, uh, and I know he, he kind of held up Vince for money at certain uh, uh, points. I think it was SummerSlam against Sid Vicious. I was there at that SummerSlam, Madison Square Garden. It was the match made in heaven, match made in hell. I was there with Paul Roma. Who okay. Actually, who actually worked the opening match, and it was Hercules, Warlord, Roma against Steamboat, Texas Tornado, Bulldog, and somebody else. I mean, that's what is there. Thanks. I loved, uh, I love people who right or wrong stick up for themselves. And, uh, you know, Warrior at the time, I think he thought he deserved more money. And But, you know, we all feel that we deserve more money. Um, you know, we wouldn't be human if we didn't. You know? Oh, 100%. But the balls of him, I guess I admire his balls. Apparently, he said to Vince, I need a million dollars more. I'm not walking out. And he waited till the perfect uh, time. You know, the match is about to start. He's like, hey, man, 
I got you by the balls. <laughs> I get a million or I'm not going out. Of course, you got fired right after the match. Sure did. I do admire that almost, uh, I mean, what would you call that? A balls? or Yeah, I call uh, them balls. I mean, to go up to Vince McMahon and, and kind of put him over the barrel. Uh, yeah, and you know, I don't think Vince has been, been put over the barrel a lot in his career in life. I mean, there's, you know, what that one guy, was it Nails uh, who had a yeah, problem? Yeah, and, Nails. You but know. it didn't work out. No. I mean, I would say it worked out for Warrior to a degree because they brought him back a few times. Uh, and, and, you know, people go, oh, how could he bring him back? It's business, man. You know, just like with Hogan, just like with everything else, it's all business. And if Vince or WWE or WWF felt that they could do business, then, you know, you put all that other nonsense aside and, you know, it's all about making money at the end of the day. And and that's what professional wrestling is today as well. You know, I'm sure comedy is the same way. I mean, Ooh, you I know, mean, don't get me do, do people hold grudges and have people done stuff or said stuff or whatever? Absolutely. But when it comes down to making money and doing business, then people need to do the right thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't think of one wrestler who under the right circumstance would be wouldn't be brought back like yeah. i know uh, it's all about timing as well you know and i mean wounds heal i guess after. they do they do trust me wounds heal and it takes time and for me you know it, it's great that you bring that up because for me i mean at this point in my life i don't hate anybody i don't have any grudges against anybody uh i just want to see everybody do well and you know, have there been rights and wrongs along the way in life and wrestling? Absolutely. But man, look, just like you said, you're 54, dude, I'm 55. I'll be 56 in March, man. Dude, we're, we're just getting too fucking old for that stuff, man. And, you know, I, I just think that it's just better to, to live drama free than have to worry about carrying something, man. Cause it just, it's too time consuming and it's it just sucks, man. See, I'm the opposite. I don't, you're, you are right. I am telling you, you are right. But I, uh, you know, maybe I have a little bit of warrior in me. Like, I don't like getting fucked over. No, I, I get that. But for me, I mean, I, I, I never want to, you know, hear that somebody that I had a, held a grudge against. And, and again, if we were dear friends or, or, or we were related or something and to hear something bad happen to him for the prime example of that. It's like my ex-wife. She and I don't speak. And, you know, we had 32 great years of marriage, man. I mean, we were high school sweethearts. And today, you know, we don't speak. And for me, that, that really breaks my heart. It really does, you know. And I don't hate her. I mean, I'll always love her to a certain extent. But, you know, the fact that we don't talk, that that bothers me. And, in fact, you know, I've, I've reached out to her and stuff. But, you know, it, it, it's on her. And, again, it goes back making those choices and stuff and i choose to be drama free and to not hate anybody and you know what there's just too many memories and too many things that have happened in life you know that i just don't want to be on the tail end of oh my god that happened and you never get that opportunity to go you know what i fucked up i'm sorry oh i uh love owning my shit like i own everything I've apologized to people in my past going, hey, I, you know, ex-girlfriends, hey, I wish I could have done this better. That's on me. And, and Yeah, and, you know, for me, and I'll say this publicly to my ex-wife, you know, 
I'm sorry, man. I, I, I really fucked up. And I know there was things on both sides, but you know what? Maybe next time. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I mean, in the comedy world, and, and it's very similar to wrestling, I'm sure certain comics get put over. There's politics. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was on a show called Roast Battle, which I was uh, fucked over on. Uh, hell, I'll mention his name by Jeff Ross and his manager. I've held a grudge ever since. I, um, And it's awkward because we're on a lot of the same shows. Yeah. But I don't regret one thing I've said. Uh yeah, and, and you know what? You're you. So you're always going to be you. So if you hold that grudge, yeah, that's you. I don't do it because I like to hold it. Like, yeah. it, you know, like I would all, I watch certain uh, wrestlers uh, shoot videos or interviews. Yeah. And I always think those are pretty fun to watch and kind of comical because, again, you know, going back to holding a grudge and, you know, if anybody ever does want to get a second opportunity or, Somebody may need you and stuff like that, man. You never want to burn those bridges in life, wrestling, comedy, you know, movies, whatever, man. Just, just let that shit go. It's hard though. Man. It is. It is. You know, I, I'm not going to lie, but there's maybe one or two individuals that for me, it's really hard to bite the bullet, but I do, but you know, I won't mention names, but to See, me, I man, will. to me, it, it, but again, like I explained, man, Dana Strum is when you give that life and stuff, then it just has a tendency to grow and it makes it bigger and stuff. And I, I would rather not give them that. No, you're right. I like I, I I'm almost at this point arguing with myself because I I'm a, you are completely right. Let karma take care of them. Oh, and karma does work. It really does come back. <laughs> well, Jeff, I think it has, but uh, we won't get into that. But uh to me, like if you I've seen it firsthand recently. Oh, I mean, oh, they're in the comedy world specifically. There's... Oh, in the wrestling world it comes back really fast. Oh, I think so. You know, yeah. uh I'm I'm sure guys and and you know female wrestlers too. I, I don't mean to just say guys. Uh you know if you're a snake behind the scenes it will catch up to you and but like in my mind, like if you if you don't say anything and you don't hold a little bit of a grudge, to me you send off a bat signal of saying, "Hey, it's okay to fuck me over, and I'm gonna take it." Yeah, I I hold grudges privately if I do hold any, and again, it's it's not many, and and I'm not giving those individuals time in my head no, or know. space, you know, because. There, there's other stuff that, you know, I'm grinding to do like the next project or whatever. I'm, I'm grinding on that because if I give those individuals the time in my head, then that's time away from the goal and the focus and the grind. So I just would rather focus on the good shit and let them deal with the bad shit and karma. See, my fear is that because I've had a lot of people come up to me like, Earl, you're like the comedy version of warrior. You just say what's on your mind and, you don't care about the consequences, which I do. I'm calculating in that way. I, you know, yeah. when I started speaking out about Rose Ball and Jeff and his manager, and you know, let's just say there were some conflicts of interest on that show that were probably illegal. Uh, it's all been factual. It's not, yeah. Um, and you know, so I look at, you know, when Warrior, you know, he was. I don't know if you would call him bitter, but like he or just brutally honest, you know, and, and when he let all that go and, and forgave Hogan and, 
and Vince and hugged them all. And two days later, he was dead. Yeah. And you know what? I, I was real. I mean, I cried when I saw him come out on Monday Night Raw and cut that promo. I really did. I, I got emotional because to finally see him let go of everything, man, with Vince and Hogan and WWE, to me as a fan, that was like, fuck yeah, man. Finally, these guys are going to do business again and Ultimate Warrior. And, and then, you know, sadly he passed away, but I was really happy that he got to get all that shit out and they moved on. But sadly, you know, he, he passed away. But, you know, that's what I mean. I mean, you know, fuck, why wait until we're almost dead to, to, to finally say I'm sorry, you know? That's my fear. If I, hey, Jeff, I'm sorry, man. We're good. And then I die in the comedy store parking lot. Uh, but, you know, segueing into music, and, and I think music, I think comedy and wrestling have a lot of parallels. And I, I think wrestling and music have a, yeah. when a band is over, uh, you know, like Motley Crue, Rat, Kiss. Know, I, mean, yeah, I mean, Kiss multiple times. Yeah. Uh, you know they got put over you know rat with the videos with milton burl it was like yeah. that was like their milty they're they're over they're they're yeah. on mtv a, a thousand times a day and, and motley crew is may not be the best technical band uh kiss uh not the greatest technical band but they're over now what what do you think it's a band over uh, like videos the no i always and this is just where I've seen stuff and being involved with music as long. And you know what, dude, it's funny. We're talking music and we're here in LA just off of the sunset strip is that for me, music came first. Music was always my thing. And to me, I always tell people that professional wrestling just happened because I was out here on the sunset strip. You know, I was a roadie for bands back in 82, 83, 84, 85. And you know, I was out there handing out flyers for a band called Blitzkrieg that ultimately Ron Kill produced and fucked them. Um, but just being a part of that, I remember my, my first album credit, music credit, was on Blitzkrieg Record, man, which was distributed by Green World back then, which was a big deal. Right, B? Green World was huge, man. So to get my name, and again, they called me Marty Ruby back then. <laughs> uh, but to get my name on a record in, in 1985, man, that was big for me as a kid, you know, 1985, I got my first real credit and legitimate credit. But I remember being out there and seeing Warrant and seeing Guns N' Roses and seeing Poison and everybody just up and down from Duhini at Gil's, Gil's Liquor, Gil, Gil Turner, brother. And then I remember walking down to the Troubadour going down that way. And then, you know, you would, you know, hand out flyers at the Troub, come back up and you'd, you know, you'd hit Gazaris and you'd hit the, the Roxy. Then you'd hang out the rainbow for a bit. Then you'd walk down to, to the whiskey and then you'd do that. And then you just kind of just do that. And it was great. FM station, same thing, man. I mean, just all these different places and being there and seeing these guys who became very big national acts and stuff. And, you know, some of them were very deserving of it, but Dude, it was crazy. I remember the first time meeting Nikki Six was at an ACDC show. Uh, it was for those about to rock. Him and Tommy were handing out flyers out in front of the sports arena. 
And yeah. I remember running into Nikki Six, and I remember him telling me my name, and I just thought he looked the fucking coolest guy I'd ever saw with the hair, the makeup, and the boots, and the leather jacket. And it was like, oh, this guy's fucking cool. And he handed me a flyer. I still got that flyer to this day. But, you know, to see Motley evolve, and to me, Motley's always going to be my band. Sure. Because I saw them when they were fucking nobodies with, again, 25 people. And to see Motley where they're at today, they're still my band. They changed my fucking life. Oh, I mean, I, I give anyone credit for doing it as long as they've done it. Kiss 50 years. Yeah. <laughs> and still be uh, relevant to a degree. I mean, I, I think it's hard to judge relevancy and, and yeah. in music now because it's not album sold. It's streams and uh, social know. media and, and stuff like that, followers. But, you know, to see Kiss still doing it, I mean, to me, that's hats off to them because, you know, they're still plugging away. Uh, again, Eric Singer is a good friend of mine. Eric's the and, best. You know, to see Eric. And, and for me, I remember, you know, 1977, hearing about Kiss selling out Madison Square Garden three nights in a row. I predicted my future. And I told my mom at 10 years old that I was going to perform at Madison Square Garden. And, oh, that's nice. But, you know, to to do that and to be able to do that and then work Madison Square Garden for the first time on Monday Night Raw with Roddy Roddy Piper. Dude, dude, you talk about huge. That was that was mind blowing for me, man, to to come from welfare and food stamps, a mom and seven kids. My dad was in prison for 12 years. And I mean, I remember I told her that when my dad was still in prison and then. Fast forward to being on Monday Night Raw at the Garden with Roddy Roddy Piper. I mean, who does that? I do. Roddy was... uh... He was great, man. You know, one of the biggest pieces of advice that he gave me, and I tell kids today about this, is that people were coming up and they're asking the producers and agents after their matches, oh, is that okay? Is that okay? Did it look good? everything cool i remember seeing that and piper looked at me and he turned and he goes hey kid (laughs) you never want to do that you know why he says because when you do that you're telling everybody that you doubt yourself and doubt your ability he goes so if you're doubting yourself they'll doubt you too i mean i you got to believe in yourself kid because if you don't they fucking won't I've you never know, forgotten that. I have so many fond memories of Roddy, and just, uh, you know, he's been on that couch. So, uh, yeah. well, it's a different couch. I had to get rid of that old one. Ooh, a lot of <laughs> DNA on that couch. Uh, not on this one, just yeah. so you guys know. But uh, okay. Roddy was like, he'd pull up to the comedy store in his American Gigolo type Mercedes. You know that older uh, two seater. Yeah. It was like Superman was kind of. Like any comic who was above thirty would just part the seats. Like we're not worried. Of course, man, it was Piper, man. And he'd get up there and tell stories, and uh, he'd try a few jokes that you know maybe wasn't the funniest, but then he would rely on us on the back to yell out something stupid, and he'd have a story about it. Like, hey, Roddy, you're the biggest dick in the backstage, and well, you know, there was that one time uh, me and Kamala were, and he'd have a story like. Hey, Roddy, who took the biggest shits, Mark Henry or Abdullah? And he had, he would go into this 20-minute amazing Abdullah the Butcher story about they were in a tag match, and 
Abdullah was nowhere to be found. And, and so Roddy whispered to his opponent, hey, let's go in the parking lot. I think he's in the van eating. And, and he was just in a van in the parking lot eating donuts. And so they turned it into a parking lot match. And Yeah, uh, yeah I, you know, again, guys like Piper, man, th those are like one of a kind legends. And, yes. you know, and you know what? They don't make them like that anymore, man. They're too manufactured today. Like, and you know, back then those guys were in the business. It was yes, real kayfabe. Again, not shitting on anybody today because sure. everybody's fucking talented and everybody works their ass off. But those type of individuals with those types of personalities, and again, working the territories and and getting shit pay and you know, starving and, and, and working for everybody and anybody and getting over without social media, without any type of backing, you know, these guys were over, man. And, and, you know, when they came to your towns during the territory times, you wanted to see them get their asses kicked because you heard word of mouth or you saw the videos that you VHS tapes that you traded and stuff like that. But, you know, today you got social media that does that for you. But guys like Piper and Mr. Wonderful and yeah. cats like that, man, Don the Rock. I mean, just, dude, I mean, just it was a different time and different era. So you really can't compare them because they're different. But again, it's still professional wrestling. Yeah, like I don't see Piper doing well on social media. Like in ter terms of like trying to be funny, like he was a badass. Like he, was. he, he didn't need to write a tweet out. Of him working out like just come to the gym and watch me work out motherfucker i'm not making a video uh which is why i think i like mjf more because he's got a little bit of piper in him too where he... i always tell people that if you can talk you'll make money which leads me here's my fifth lie to you another promos can make a wrestler right absolutely and bad ones can not ruin someone but uh i was watching before you came here sid's first promo when they brought him into the four horsemen and it's the funniest i'll send you the link it, it you will laugh you probably know everyone in the video where you know you've got flair i don't know what was flowing through his veins that night but it was uh at the minimum caffeine i'll just say that i uh <laughs> I, 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 we actually recreated the rocks promo in the nation of domination, oh. which that promo made him who he is today. Right. I mean, there's, and you know, to, to see that during the attitude era and then to be on young rock and recreate that and stuff, dude, I got goosebumps. I really did. I got choked up being on set, watching us shoot that and to see Uli who plays rock do that and just going like, Oh my God, this was magical. And that promo made the rock who he was. And it put him over as, as a heel. And from there, man, he just, they put that rocket to his back, man. And he fucking, he killed it. Well, it's so funny how a, a promo can like make or break you. Like in, in that one where they, uh, this is for capital combat. So it's, it's the horseman against Sting and, and Robocop. Which is insane. There's a there's a Robocop on the right speaker. There. So uh and they bring in Sid as their fourth member, uh, and they make him basically cut a promo on Robocop. 
and it it, it didn't ruin him because he clearly went on to have a a, a very nice career. Uh, uh, although I, I think it could have been better, but um, just because his look was just like, like yeah. my God, yeah. it was like a bigger warrior. Yeah. When almost. he was Psycho Sid coming in, remember when he was Shawn Michaels' bodyguard and stuff, man. Oh, that's my. One of my favorite promos is when he turned on Shawn Michaels. And I don't know if he did this on purpose, but it almost was warrior-like with his promos. Sometimes he would botch his words. And it, it almost, to me anyway, just as an idiot fan, it gave it credence that he's a madman, that he can't even, uh, you know, I think his most Can't even get his words out. Well, I think his most famous botch was when he was talking about Kevin Nash and he's... He was supposed to say, you're not half the man I am. And he said something like, I don't have half the brain you do. Like, it was, just, yeah. it was like, but yeah. it, it was like, this guy's a madman. He can't even like form sentences. Yeah, I, I remember seeing that at the time and going, did he really say that? <laughs> he did. Well, like, could a, like, it, so that Robocop promo was so ridiculous, you'd almost couldn't take Sid seriously. And, and then like, you know, Hogan was good at promos, uh, yeah. you know, um, that his heel speech, uh, when he turned bad, was I think the greatest. Uh, I mean, this is probably yeah. When Hogan joined the NWO, I I really felt as a fan at that time that that was something that needed to happen. At that time, and I I'm mean, glad it did. It's probably the wrong way to phrase this, but it to me, and and I'm not trying to be funny, but it was it was like wrestling nine eleven. Like, oh my god, Hogan. Yeah, Hulk Hogan turned heel. He's a bad guy. Like, there's no more. Like the guy in the. I'll never forget. If you go back and watch that promo, there's a, a, and a, a typical looking wrestling fan, a dude, a little on the heavy side, wearing an ECW shirt. He's crying. He's so devastated that he. It was real to him, uh, and that speech. It's still real to me. Always but, will be. But that speech broke the the kayfabe wall of at a certain point you could tell the energy of Hogan maybe a little bitterness towards Vince at the time it got real and I you know we were talking about Omega and Osprey uh, yeah. before we started like I love it when it gets a little real yeah so do I and and on that point I always think that when you bring in personal conflict that that's money to be made. Right, uh, that, like, that uh, if you bring in a lot of the realism, a lot of the so-called heat and feelings, if you bring that and you start blurring the line, I think that's when people really get invested in it because you really don't know if it's real or if it's the F word or something in between. But when you bring in those type of feelings like Will and Kenny, what they're doing right now and stuff, it brings validity to it. And I think that... Sometimes that gets lost where they try and make it too real. Right. Um, but again, you can even go back to Matt Hardy and the Lita and the Edge oh, triangle. Geez. I mean, that was a work shoot. And, right. And people didn't understand what's a work shoot. It means they knew what was happening. They knew what they were going to be doing, but it was still real because they still had this personal grudge against each other. Yeah, I mean, for the, you younger fans, which, you know, it's weird to me that, like, some wrestling fans might not even know what we're talking about. Uh, you know, like, I'm sure, uh, like, when Sting came to WWE, some of those younger kids had no idea who he was. Like, who's this guy in makeup? Like, yeah. And then, uh, but there was a love triangle in real life, basically. In real life, yeah. Uh, and, 
and you could tell in their matches, uh, especially in the one ladder match, it was like, oh, that, that this is getting a little real. Like, you know, and I can't imagine it. If you, if I had a girlfriend who cheated on me with you, probably not the best example, but and and, and Vince comes as uh, you guys are going to be in WrestleMania against each other, I, I would hit you as hard. I would want to kill you, but I guess that's the point. Yeah, and I'm sure you'd hit me back. Okay, absolutely, I'd hit you back. And say something like, "Hey, she's with me now, Earl. How do you like that, motherfucker?" Yeah, uh, tit for tat. Does that happen very often, though? In terms of, uh, like, I'm trying to think of guys. Like, uh, there's a current situation in AEW, uh, you know, the where the Young Bucks and, and Kenny Omega had a a beef, a real life beef with CM Punk and, and some of his crew. And like, to me, I would think that's money. Omega. Yeah. Again, punk. you you want to, and again, I'm of the humble opinion that when you bring in the realism into stuff like that, then of course people want to tune in. You know, they they, they want to see what's going to happen. You know, because they hear of the rumors and they see what went down, or they heard that somebody got suspended. You know, so when you bring in that realism to professional wrestling, I always thought that, in my humble opinion, that that was like the best way to go with professional wrestling, you know? And again, when you talk about folks and it being real, again, I told the story about crime time getting fired and, and stuff, but to add to, to that backstory is that when they got rehired to WWE, it was the day before WrestleMania 24. That was 2008, Orlando, Florida. Uh, the next night at the Amway Center in Orlando, Florida, Monday Night Raw, I got called in to Vince's office along with Caden Murdoch and along with Crime Time because Vince had re-signed them. And Vince sat all of us down and he says, you guys are working tonight. <laughs> and he goes, I want to see if you guys can do business. Because again... I was in the ring when they did what they did to me and Caden Murdoch. And again, there was heat between the teams. I don't know why or whatever, but he brought us in and he sat us down in his office and he said, you guys are working tonight. And again, it, it wasn't about being egotistical. It wasn't about, you know, trying to prove who was better or, you know, we got fired because of you or because of that. But Vince wanted to see if we could do business, man. And we did. We went out there, and Cade Murdoch put over Crime Time on their return to Monday Night Raw. You can go back and check it out. They put Crime Time over on their return. And that was Vince's way to say, look, there's shit that went down, but I want to see if you guys can do business. And we did. We were, we were professionals about it. Well, I'm always fascinated by booking and, and how certain things come together. And, like, to me, if I'm AEW, like, you, you know, I don't know if they'll ever have a no one will ever have a WrestleMania. I mean, WrestleMania is just like the Wayne Gretzky of pay-per-views. It's yeah. just, but you can, you know, have some good alternatives to it at times. And like, if I'm Tony Khan, I sit them all down in a room and go, see him. I can either fire you and go wherever you want. It can't be about money for you at this point. I'm, I'm assuming he's saved whatever he's made, but most of it. I look at Kenny Omega and go, this is going to be our big pay-per-view, YouTube. Can you make it? Can you do it? 
But but here's the thing though, and I'm not saying this to discard who he is or what he is. No, no, no. Tony Khan isn't Vince McMahon. Hundred percent. He's a fan with money. He is. And yes. I kind of like that. So do I. I would love to be a billionaire. So do I. But he's not Vince McMahon in the way that he can sit these guys down and tell them this and they're going to do it. Right. You know, where Vince is like, we're doing this, damn it. And this is why. And <laughs> that's what you get. I don't think Tony Khan is there with the boys. You know, it, it's a different vibe, I guess. Sure. I mean, I've never met Tony Khan. I heard he's a great dude. Um, but you know, it's not Vince McMahon saying, Hey, we're going to do business and this is why we're going to do business. I don't care or give a shit about the feelings about whatever, but we have something here and let's all make fucking money because at the end of the day, that's what it's about. It's about making fucking money. Yeah. I mean, like I'm, but you talk about making money. I'm buying the pay-per-view, uh, uh, January 4th, Wrestle Kingdom, mm -hmm. uh, solely on that one promo Omega and Osprey had where uh you know it's a standard good guy bad guy promo and, and then uh osprey called omega fat mm -hmm. and like i said upstairs like that's the worst thing you could do to someone who works out and you could tell omega clearly prides himself on his body i mean he he's, looks amazing uh and you could tell he just his head kind of tells it's like okay i'm gonna shit on you right now might not have been in the promo but it's in it now yeah. And there's just a natural heat. I think mm -hmm. Omega looks at Osprey as the younger version of him. I mean, yeah. And, and again, that natural heat, if you can put that in the ring and put it on TV and kind of have like quality control to it, I think, you know, you're, you're good for it. And, you know, you will be able to, to make money off of that kind of stuff. But again, if people aren't willing to do that and put aside the grudges or the feelings and really look at, hey, man, let's do business then you do business. Hey, New Japan's making 50 bucks off me in two days. Just uh, I'm sure you're not the only one they're making 50 bucks off of either. <laughs> well, I'm kind of new, pardon the pun, I'm new to New Japan just because it's not really, um, to me anyway, not, not that well promoted in America. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't really know much about it until I went to a New Japan card. I didn't know they filmed half the cards here uh, yeah. at the Vermont Theater. Yeah, I had no idea. And so I went to uh, Eddie, my co-host, uh, your friend, yeah. our friend. Our friend. Uh, Hi, Eddie. Yeah, Eddie. Um, I know he'll be listening to this episode. Uh, he took me, and I was just blown away at the uh, storylines and the, the it's a little bit more of a realistic uh, yeah. style, I guess. Yeah, and, you know, in Japan, I mean, it's still real out there. Yeah. When we would go tour, you, you would have the heel bus and you had the babyface bus and we had separate buses all over europe too and but in japan it's still real and stuff so when they the magazines and 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 all that other good stuff that stuff is still real to those folks out there same thing with mexico i mean it, it's insane on how real people believe that you know professional wrestling is real which it is it is but it's just a different realism to it if that makes sense in japan and in mexico sure compared what, to where we're at today. I mean, I think for me, social media has ruined uh, wrestling. Uh, just to younger kids, it's like, I think it's improved. And like, I can, you know. My humble opinion in this, I'm, I'm nobody. I think social media has ruined the world. 
it just uh, there's no more mystery about anything. Um, yeah, and you know, back then, if you heard of, of rumors or paparazzi or whatever, you know, a lot of that stuff wasn't circulated until two months down the road when you found out about it. Now it's like instantaneous. You know, you can see somebody getting kicked in the balls or somebody. Well, I do like watching those videos. Yeah, stuff like it. It is funny. <laughs> Slap but, bites. But my point is, is like everything is instantaneous now. Yeah. No matter what it is, it's instantaneous, you know. And and to me, that that whole scenario, it doesn't give the surprise element. And right. Different things, whether it be music, whether it be television with the spoilers or or whatever. I I think the surprise element is surprise element factor isn't there anymore because social media is ins- instantaneous and it gives you everything right now instead of just going like, well, you know, we're going to keep this under the under our hat for a minute. Yeah, like, yeah, I, I think it's destroyed wrestling from the standpoint of, and I, I sound old, I guess to a 20-year-old I am old, uh, but it was great. Like, you know, the Warriors returned to WCW. It was totally ruined for me because some idiot, I don't think Twitter was around yet, but I think it might have been uh, one of those wrestling, uh, I think it was lordsofpain.net. I'll give the credit. Uh, hey, wow, I'm, you're uh, going back, bro. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was my go-to, like, wow. uh, Mark site, I guess you'd call it. And uh, one of the editors was like, hey, I'm in Buffalo right now uh, where Nitro is at. I just saw Warrior with his gear bag. And I'm like, oh, he's coming back. I mean, I was excited. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It did get me pumped up. Like, oh, I'm going to watch Nitro tonight. I was like, oh, I, I much would have rather preferred the surprise where Hogan's doing a speech, the lights go out which is how they did it. But I'm like, oh, this is when Warriors coming out. So was, the shine was a little, but then the 28-minute promo was maybe the greatest promo for all the wrong reasons on earth. Uh, yeah, but it, it was a promo that he only knew that he was talking about. Yeah, he went into, as they say, would you say this would be a fair assessment? He went into business for himself. Oh, more than once. <laughs> yeah, 100%. But like, you can tell if you go back, if you have the time to watch a 28-minute promo. I do. You probably don't. You guys probably are too busy. Yeah. The looks on Bischoff, Hogan, and the Disciple, who many people didn't know, Bruce Beefcake, mm-hmm. they're looking at him like, Dude, this is live TV, bro. You got to wrap it up. Like, take it and, home. Take it home. In the comedy world, they would say, give it the light. And I'm sure someone in the crowd was like, hey, dude, Jim. Oh, like, I'm sure. Uh but that, so like, but the internet ruined that moment for me. Like, and and if you watch, I'm sure tonight it's Monday. Uh, we're doing this. Uh, I'm sure someone has already posted what's going to happen tonight on Monday Night Raw. And the, yeah, you know, there, there's spoilers, and you know, there there's people who want to, you know, for example, social media ruined Star Wars for me, The Force Awakens. Okay. Because I was waiting to go see it. I had had tickets for it. And then when I saw something on social media where it says Han Solo dies, I was so heartbroken because, you know, he's one of the great characters of that franchise. But to have somebody give it away like that, and me, I bought my ticket and was going to go see it in, you know, HD and Dolby sound and just get the whole full effect. And then to find out that Han Solo was killed like the day before, I was going just really just it, it ruined it for me. Oh, well, as you can tell, I'm a Han Solo man because I have a a Chewy. Probably the only 
50 plus year old man who has an autographed picture of a Chewbacca in his house. Peter uh, May. Is yeah, that, Peter Mayhew. Yeah. Uh, I, I felt the same way because I, I was going to see that because, uh, uh, you know, some of the newer Star Wars, Chewbacca wasn't in them. I'm a big Chewbacca guy. And because uh, he reminded me of so many of my dogs from my past, which apparently he was modeled after George Lucas's dog, which what kind of fucking dog George Lucas have. Uh, and I was upset. I think I probably read the same uh, spoiler alert. And I, of course, we still went to see the movie. Yeah, but. I did. I did. You know, because I wanted to get the effect. And and again, when I saw it happen, I did get emotional. Sure. But I think I could have been a little bit more emotional, you know, when it happened because the surprise element. But you know, to see him get killed by his son and stuff like that, you know, that was that was good. Well, I mean, I shed a tear when they show Chewbacca right after, and he's for him crying. Yeah. Let's help. That I guess he didn't cry. But uh, what do you call it? A yelp. He, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, but music music has been ruined almost because you know back when we were kids, teens, early twenties, you know if you liked a band, you had to go see them. Like now, yeah. you can just uh, I want I want to see rap, but I don't want to go to the whiskey and pay twenty bucks to park. I just put on YouTube and watch a few videos. Yeah, I remember Kiss back in the day, man. They released an album a year, and I couldn't wait yeah. for Kiss to release a record because you expected Kiss to put a record out. I mean, you know, every because you know, Kiss, Hotter Than Hell, Dressed to Kill, Alive, you know, those four four records, man. And then again, for me, up until I want to say Love Gun, to me that that was the original Kiss and the sound that really just hooked me as a kid. Because I remember being eight years old and seeing the cover of Kiss Alive and going, what the oh, fuck yeah. is this? I mean, their uh, album covers were almost as good as the actual album. It's like it, they yeah. really drew you in. Like, Yeah, and then, you know, to, to get all the posters and the goodies, like Kiss Love Gun, you had the the order form. You had the, the Pop Kiss Love Gun. Alive 2, you had the tattoos. You had the booklet, the you know, the evolution of Kiss. And, you know, so, dude, I mean, I'm sure, like, Brian, you, I mean, I mean, we all look forward to these things. Oh, it was fucking awesome. I, I would go down to Tower Records and just wait. Dude, it's funny. We were driving up right now, yeah. and we saw the old location of Tower Sad. Records, and Brian and I looked at each other and went, such a shame, man. Such a shame. So much history there, man. I mean, I hundreds of memories. Just... Elton John used to go there and buy his records. Yeah, I, I, everyone did, like yeah. Tarantino and yeah. uh, everyone, like... Uh, you know, when, when Kiss first came to L.A. and played, uh, and they were recording Hotter Than Hell, they Paul Stanley and Peter Chris actually took a photo in front of the Tower Records that said the Kiss new Kiss album and stuff. And, you know, that was cool. I remember working with Slaughter. I mean, when they released Stick It To You, right there on Tower Records, there's a picture of the whole band. And remember how they would put the lettering? It said, Stick It To You, available now. Right, and yeah. It was right there, Mark, Dana, Tim, and Bloss right there. And it was like, there's some cool stuff, man. So much history in that building. And now it's, uh, I think they're turning it into a gym, which is. Uh, Tower Record Gym? Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, Tower Video, which I think is where Axel work, or Axel or Slash work, uh, is now a Chase Bank. So wow. the drugs that must have been done in that building. Uh, oh, I'm sure, man. So it's I'm um, sure. I remember the Denny's that Mickey met Tommy Lee yeah. at was down the road over here too, man. And 
You know, you just go like, wow, man, there's where Tommy Lee and Nikki Six first met. I would go there with Piper after we would do a podcast because yeah. we got kicked off uh, several podcast networks because uh, I think Piper had a beef with Stone Cold. And I, unfortunately, I came in right in the middle of it. So I wasn't really sure, you know, what was what. I think Stone Cold, if I remember correctly, was upset at Will Sasso for doing an impression of him on Roddy's podcast. And so, uh, well, Sasso did the impersonation at Monday Night Raw. When we right. were here at Staples. Oh, he's great. Like, yeah, he was great. I remember they did the whole segment and stunning him and, and all that. You know, I was there when that happened. But there was something that went, uh, that upset Stone Cold. So, oh, wow. uh, See, I've never even heard that. I never even knew that. So uh, we were on podcast one. Mm. And then, uh, you know, Roddy's podcast did very well. Just not, not because of me. Was, I'm sure the fans hated me being on it. But Roddy wanted me on it. So yeah. uh, I think he enjoyed someone else being the bad guy. Yeah. At that point in his life, he was like, dude, you, you can say whatever you want because you're not going to work for WWE. Like, I might want to go back there at some point. So you be the bad guy and I'll just, yeah. you say something I don't like, uh, moving on. Absolutely, uh, 100%. He uh, was right. Oh, no, he he was amazing. Uh, my first memory is he brought in six Red Bulls at nine in the morning. I thought, oh, wow, that's legends buying me three, him three. And I went to the open one. He's like, Oh, no, no, no. These are all for me. <laughs> so That's tremendous. Uh, but you know, I don't know. Just the internet. I mean, we're all kids. Even you and I are in our 50s. Brian, or 40s? 50, yeah. Well, we'll How old are you, B? 55. So we're literally the same we're generation. Uh, and you know, like, like, like Brian said earlier, man, I mean, we all had these lives that were parallel to each other. We didn't even know it. You know, being here on the Sunset Strip and the clubs and music and knowing people, just like when I walked in, I seen your union poster and I go, oh, union. Yeah. And then you said, you know, Brent. I went, yeah. oh, yeah. You know, it was like, holy shit, man. Yeah. Brent Fitz, a uh, world class drummer. I mean, he is so talented. Uh, he could drum for any. He, he told me uh, last night, he's like, yeah, I just drummed with your boy Piercy. I learned 10 rat songs in an hour. Like, that's how good he is. Like, yeah. not that rat's the most. I mean, they're my favorite band, but I, I don't know how a, you know a musician like Brent probably thinks of them as being pretty. Yeah, it was cool, man. The last time I saw him was on the Fozzie tour in 2019. Right. We did Vegas, and we went to go see Raiding the Vaults. Okay. Know, Blossy Elias drums for Paul Shortina was there. Uh, Todd Kearns was there that night. Uh, Brent was there that night, and it was cool, man. We all took a photo and stuff, and it was me, Todd, Jericho, uh, Megan Ruger. She was a singer there. Uh, Paul Sortino, rough, oh, rough cut, cut quiet riot know, quiet for one riot, album, you yeah. know, and you know, it was great to see all these people. And it's funny because everybody thinks that this music world and wrestling world is so huge, but it's so small and they all intertwine, man. Same thing with movies and television. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think comedy wrestling and, and music, uh, is so similar, like the, the traveling, the, the lifestyle. I mean, wrestling has the additional pressure of working out, uh, you know, for, for most of the wrestlers, I mean, there are some heavy set wrestlers that, uh, you know, I guess they don't get paid on. Uh, I mean, I've actually had actor friends of mine who were heavy set being told, don't lose weight because you, you're the funny fat guy now. But if you lose weight, there's a lot of funny guys out there. There's not a lot of funny fat guys. So um, just hop scopping back to wrestling. We good on time? I'm good, man. I mean, I, this could be a seven hour podcast. Hey. Uh that's another, uh, I guess, pressure uh, 
that pro wrestlers have to deal with how you look like yeah it's all physical man it's all physical so the pressure to maintain that body especially given the travel um yeah requirements uh how hard is it on on the boys like you look at a, a Sid Vicious. Hey, you got to be this big dude because got this guy named Kane coming up behind you. Yeah, and and you know, being on the road and, and trying to you know travel the way we traveled, uh, you know, you you would do. For example, we we would start a loop for. So I was here in L.A. Okay, so when we started a loop, we would do a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. So for me, I would fly out Thursday night, red eye, get into the town, let's say Cleveland, Ohio. I'd get there Friday morning, meet up with whoever I was going to ride with. And again, it was always four to five guys riding in a, in a car or van or whatever. So we would all meet and then we would drive to the arena and then we would get there and then we'd do our, our stuff, get our matches done, and then we'd leave. And then we'd drive 350 miles to the next town. So what we did is it was 1 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning, and the only thing open, especially around there, was Waffle House or something like that. So, you know, not the best food to eat, but, you know, the, that was it. So then we would drive after eating at 1 in the morning, and then we'd get close to the town that we were going to do. We'd get a hotel. We'd split a hotel, and we'd stay there. And then in the morning, we'd get up, and we'd go find a gym. We'd all look up a gym. And, and back then, before social media, too, you just had to ask the front desk if there was any gym. So the boys would go get a workout. Me as a referee, I just kind of maintained. I did cardio just to have my cardio up and stuff like that because, A, they weren't looking at me. And, you know, I was never going to be six foot eight, 380 pounds. So, you know, but I did maintain because I didn't want to be the fat guy referee. Right. So even though I was at Lucha Underground on season four, holy shit, uh, that's why I'll never watch it. But, uh, you know, you, you had to maintain and you had to be in, in, in pretty decent shape, even for a referee. But the boys, you know, like they would get in and, and they weren't eating correctly. And a lot of them had protein bars, shakes and things like that just to, you know, maintain, so to speak. But, you know, like we would get into a gym and they would have to pay 20 bucks to go get in. They had to get a workout in. They'd get a workout. And then from the workout, we'd go straight to the building and it, it would just we would do it all over again. So when you're on the road Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and then you fly home for a day, and then Thursday you're back out and stuff, I mean, it, it can be brutal on you, especially if you're not eating right, sleeping right. And again, we would only get maybe four or five hours of sleep out on the road because that's, that's what the schedule was. But it got even worse. I shouldn't say worse. It was all fun. When we would start on a, on a Thursday, I'd take a red eye. And then we would do Friday night, Saturday, and then Sunday, if it was a pay-per-view, we would do the pay-per-view, and then we'd do Monday Night Raw, and then we'd do SmackDown on Tuesday, and then Wednesday, we would fly over to Europe. We would fly to Europe, and then we'd get to Europe, and then as soon as we landed, we went straight to the building because of the time difference and stuff. So then we'd go straight to the building, and then we'd get to the building, do our stuff, and then get back on the bus, and then we'd drive to the next town and then we'd have catering or whatever. And then you slept and then you got up because call time was 10 a.m. Get back on the bus. And again, mind you, we would do 15 cities and six countries for three weeks. And then you would do all that. 
and then come back to the States. And then you would do Monday Night Raw. And then you would do SmackDown. And then you would go home. And then that Thursday, you were back on the road again. So you literally spent maybe eight hours at home after doing three weeks in Europe. And you still have to look the way you look. And you still have to look the way you look. Like I look at uh, Kenny Omega. We'll just take him. This is his traveling uh, the next couple of weeks. You know, he's got a big, last week, big match to set up the seventh match. It's going to be in LA. He's now in Japan right now to do the Wrestle Kingdom show. And then next uh, Wednesday in LA, he's the star of the, uh, the big LA card. And AEW doesn't come out here a lot. Uh, so the pressure on him to like perform in LA after Japan, Seattle, you know, LA, like that's, and, and you still got to look like Kenny Omega. And you have to do this amazing because he's a high flyer, I guess you call him, uh, along with uh, Death Triangle, but you know Penta and, and those guys uh, and, and the Young Bucks obviously are who they are. Like I'm going to that match January 11th, and I want to see the high flying shit. I want to see what Kenny Omega and like that's going back to what I first talked about. I almost feel guilty. Like, hey, m- monkey man, you're traveling around the world. Make me happy January 11th. Yeah, because that's your only chance to see him. I've never seen him live, so yeah. I'm so excited for January 11th, but I'm going, Jesus, he was just in Japan four days ago. That's a brutal flight. But again, too, besides that travel and besides trying to stay in shape and eating right, sleeping right, he also has to do press, too. Yeah, so I feel like, I don't know, I feel guilty. Like, But I will say this, and I can speak for myself. We know the gig, man. Right. We know what we're getting into. And we get into this because we want to get into this. So I would rather do that instead of working a nine-to-five job, man. Oh, 100%. I would not want to do any other job other than comedy. And it's a very high pressure. My my ex-wife always told me, you will never be a nine-to-five guy because you're not built for it. Some people are. and That's great. Yeah. I mean, some people love going, clocking that in. But here's the thing. Ozzy said it the best. Why would you want to put 30 years of your life into something and then after 30 years, somebody decides that you need to retire and they give you a gold watch? Well, it's one of my favorite scenes in any action movie. And there's no action in this scene, but it's in Con Air. Steve Buscemi is telling Nicolas Cage about American job is like it, it basically said that you work 35 years and then some guy gives you i think he might actually said a gold watch and tells you to piss off yeah like wrestling wrestling referee stand-up comedy we tell ourselves to piss off when we're done you know you're, uh, brian's in tv man i mean you know and again you you chase those gigs you get those gigs the hustle the grind I mean, I wouldn't have it any other way, man, because that's how I'm built. You know, that that's that's my MO, man. It's always what's next and what's coming and, and the hustle and reaching that, even though I'm sure we've all achieved some pretty cool stuff and some shit in our lives and had some great moments. But again, you want those to continue. You want those to have. And when somebody tells me to retire, it's going to be fucking me. It's not going to be anybody else telling me that I'm done. I'll decide when I'm fucking done. Oh, I'm the same way. I mean, in that sense, I am like the warrior. I'm not going to stop comedy till I'm, you know, um, 
six feet under. I love doing. I think if you love doing what you do, like you guys do, yeah, love what you do, do what you love, man. It sounds so stupid, like because we've all heard that it's not work if you if you love what you do, but it, it's yeah. really true. It is. I mean, you know, like being on these television shows or being a part of WWE, being a part of Lucha Underground. I mean, that wasn't work, man. That that was that was fun. You know, we we got to create something that nobody else was ever going to do. And again, here we are talking about Lucha Underground. I mean, years later, and, and if you haven't seen Lucha Underground, go back and check it out, man. Where can people, uh, is know, it B, online, I guess? It was on Tubi. Oh. Uh, they had all the I episodes, like Tubi. But I haven't checked you. Yeah, Tubi had all four seasons at one point. Um, yeah, I'm not, no, I don't know now, but yeah, people need to find it. I'm sure there's YouTube. People put them all on YouTube probably at this point. Yeah, like, if you're a wrestling fan, even if you're not, we've, we've created so many wrestling fans that were like, oh, I didn't watch wrestling until Lucha Underground, or I watched it when I was a kid, and this just brought me back. So, yeah, I'm a big mark for Lucha Underground. And, you know, find it, watch it, watch clips. You'll see, and you'll see people that you know now, wrestling fans will be, that still haven't seen it, will will be amazed on the talent that came from that. Yeah, show. you'll see Johnny Mundo or Johnny Knight. I can't keep up with Morrison's names. Yeah. Uh, Johnny Nitro. You know, uh, we, Swerve was on there. He was kill shot for us. It was AR Fox was with us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember Johnny and uh, Ricochet had a match on WWE Monday Night Raw. And I can't tell you how many messages I got privately of people going like, hey, didn't you do this first in Lucha Underground? I go, we sure did. You know, we 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 had those guys. Remember when they did the all night long match? I mean, Willie Mack, same thing. Him and Johnny did a, 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 a all night long match too. And you know, th there were just so many memorable things that we did, man. Uh, Gift of the Gods, remember doing that? Uh, Ultimate Lucha, you know. But what was the one that we did the Royal Rumble slash match? What was that match called? No, no. Uh... I yeah. know. I'm trying to think. Um, the it was uh, Aztec warfare. Aztec warfare. That that was so much fun because it was a combination of a Royal Rumble and a match, you know. So I remember what there was 30 finishes that I had to remember. Oof. Whoa. But that's I, what makes it so great. Was you yeah. guys put in the? Uh, I don't know if "works" the right word, but the uh, you made it different. Like it was definitely unlike anything I'd ever seen before. Uh, like. Um, here, here's something that I'm very proud of as far as Lucha Underground, I'm sure you'll agree, Brian, is that we crowned the first heavyweight female champion ever. Sexy Star won the Lucha Underground Heavyweight Championship, and she beat Mel Muertes, who's El Macias, you know? And, and he, he did business, and he put her over, man. But we had the first ever female heavyweight champion. At Lucha Underground. And they're not, I mean, uh, that kind of leads me into a question. Do you think, uh, I've always loved in women's wrestling when there's a giant female. Uh, Beth Phoenix. You know, Beth Phoenix, China, uh, yeah. obviously. Uh, even Nicole Bass to a degree, although she didn't experience the uh, success of China or yeah. Beth Phoenix. Uh, do you, Awesome Kong. Oh well, uh, my God, I love Kia. Love Kia Stevens. She did a match with uh, who was the Gail Kim. Gail Kim, yeah. That was one of the best 
women's matches I've ever seen because it was just like Gail Kim was taking some bumps, man. And do you think a women's? I mean, I know right now a lot of them look like uh, they're all tremendous athletes. Zoe Stark, who's on NXT, who I absolutely love, and she's near and dear to me. I mean, I love her to death, man. I love watching what she's doing and stuff and seeing her progression. So I, I love her. She's probably my favorite right now because maybe I'm impartial, but I, I really enjoy, you know, what she's doing. Um, haven't seen much of the AEW women. I've I've seen Tony Storm do stuff, but I remember seeing Tony Storm when she was NXT WWE. Um, but and Britt Baker, I mean, uh, she's I my mean, favorite. I, I I and she looks great and, and she's a damn great worker too. You know, I, I've seen her stuff, man, and she's really good. Um but She's like a female Rick Rude. I it just not looks wise, but like And you know, and you know, Britt's such a sweetheart. I mean, I, I met her at an expo for the first time about two years ago and she was she was great, man. You know, it and it, it always blows me away when I go up and I introduce myself to people who I've never met and stuff, especially people coming in today. And I say, hey, Marty Elias. And they go, oh, I know who you are. And I go, you do? You're iconic, man. I was like, fuck, I didn't think anybody knew who I was. But, you know, to get that kind of stuff is 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 very cool, especially like meeting a lot of the newer kids and stuff. You know, that's that's always cool because me, I always think nobody gave a flying fuck about what I did. A lot of people did, bro. Uh, well, that's, you know, that's the only thing I don't like about meeting wrestlers is, uh, especially the bad guys. Like, I met Jay Lethal at the Flair Roast, and he's, like, the nicest fucking guy. Like, he's so nice. You're like, you can't be this nice. Like, what is your angle? Yeah. And then you see him on TV, and he's primarily a heel. It's like, I don't believe in him anymore. Like, or the Gun Brothers. Like, uh, I saw them at the, they probably don't want me saying this, but I saw them at the Flair Roast. Uh, this little girl came up to them, six, seven years old, and was almost in tears. And, and they both got on their knees. They took a picture with her. They gave her all these uh, merch. That, Keep it. It's on us. And like now on TV, they're like kind of the heel tag team. They're like, I yeah. don't buy it. Like, I just saw you be nice to a seven year old. Uh, yeah. It's, do you have, I mean, you know them as when you watch wrestling as a fan, it, does that, when you know them, does it take away your enjoyment or does it enhance it? Cause you know, no, no, I, when I watch wrestling as a fan, even the stuff that I've done, I, I always like to separate the fan from the worker, right. so to speak. And I'm a wrestling fan because I got invested when I was younger. And again, I'll always be a wrestling fan. I'll always love the business and I'll always love watching it from that point of view. And that's why for me to get involved with it like I did and be a part of it for as many years as I've been a part of it, I'm still a fan of it and I still love it. And I still like to see certain characters and certain things. Just last night, for as a matter of fact, I watched the 2008 Royal Rumble. And oh my God, that was so fucking good, wow. man. I, I couldn't believe it. Randy Orton versus Jeff Hardy. Edge versus Rey Mysterio. I mean... MVP versus Ric Flair. I mean, there were so many fucking cool things. Then Cena made his return to the Royal oh, Rumble. And again, nobody one. knew Cena was coming back except Michael Hayes, Vince McMahon, Pat Patterson, Jimmy Corderas, and Marty Elias. We were the only five people who knew Cena was coming back at that Rumble because we, and I'm going off tangent a little bit. I love it. So, Royal Rumble 2008, Cena had gotten hurt. 
in 2007 and I guess he tore his pec or something. So he wasn't scheduled to be back until after WrestleMania 2008. And I remember texting with him and I said, Hey man, I'll see you soon. Cause he goes, Hey, where are you staying in New York? No, what the fuck does he want to know? I'm staying in New York. And again, I've known John Cena since he first started his prototype in UPW. So I've known John Cena a long time. And Rumor was that he wasn't coming back until Mania. So we had gone through the whole Rumble match as far as eliminations and who was going to be out first. And and then that's when they excused everybody. Right. And when they excused everybody, they told me and Jimmy Cordero to stay because he was the SmackDown referee representing SmackDown. Right. I was the Raw referee representing Raw. So Michael Hayes and Pat Patterson sat us down and they said, look, Cena's coming back what like yeah cena is going to be number 30 and he's winning fucking everything <laughs> okay so they did as they brought cena in and a van dropped him off right in the right in the right where the madison square garden ramp if you've ever been backstage to the garden there's a ramp that comes up a big suv dropped off this guy and he was literally wearing like a big uh, i don't want to say potato sack it was right. black and stuff and people couple people were escorting him and, and you just see this potato sack just walking through the hallway and goes into Vince's office and Michael Hayes is smarting me up and he goes, there's Cena. Okay, cool. So if you go back and you look at it, which I did and I was laughing because Viscera gets eliminated. Big Daddy B, rest his soul. Mabel, he gets eliminated and he was a heel. So he's there and he's trying to be a heel and getting people. And mind you, we were using the small entrance, not the big one. Yeah. We're using the, the, the normal one. So he's being a heel and he's jaw jacking with the fans and he's staying there. And Jerry Briscoe was in my ear going, get him the fuck out. Get him the fuck out. Marty Cena's coming. I don't want him in the shot. Get him out. Get him out. So I'm trying to push him out, trying to get him out because Cena's music was going to play and the big right. pop and everything else. So I finally got his ass through the curtain. And as soon as he did that, Cena's music hit and that fucking place exploded. Oh, but that's one of the best. Uh... Nobody knew he was coming back. That's a top Nobody five knew. pop. Yeah, sure. and, and again, people talk about pops, and I laugh because, you know, like I help out kids at Rocky Mountain Pro Wrestling in Denver and stuff. Shout out to those kids, Matt Yaden, who owns it. Um, and again, th there's some great kids there. There's Remy D, there's uh, uh, Damon Ace, there's David Drake, uh, some, some great talent there. But I always tell these kids, I said, look, I said, you guys always talk about a pop. And, oh, did you hear my pop? And he's like, no, no, no. I know what a pop is. Yeah. I really do. And they go, well, how do you know? I said, because I have felt a pop. I never heard a pop. I have felt a pop. And they're like, well, what do you mean? Undertaker, WrestleMania. Oh, I felt that. Cena at that Royal Rumble coming out, number 30. The fucking garden shook. You know, so there's a difference when people go, oh, you see that pop? You hear that pop? No, motherfuckers. That's not a pop. Yeah, I mean, there's... I think Super Pops or Cena. Yeah, Taker. I mean, I mean, though, and again, like I tell them, you know, I don't hear pops. I feel them. Right. Yeah, you get goosebumps. And yeah, and I have felt them. Like when I worked with Hogan and Randy Orton, 2006 SummerSlam, dude, that was insane to be in that ring and boom, you know, 
the, the TD yeah. guard in, in Boston, just the roof comes off of it, man. Goosebumps. I mean, I have to say my favorite pop, and it's not probably a match that people would remember because it's in the 80s, was when uh, Dusty Rhodes brought out Nikita Koloff. And this was, you know, no internet. The only thought Nikita was in Russia. And Nikita turned face. And if you can find that clip on YouTube, like it, it's an unheard of pop for, like it still gives me chills because he played it perfectly. You know, where he, he got in the ring and he looked at Dusty like he was going to attack him and the crowd's like really booing him. And then he hit the whole JJ Dillon. He gave JJ Dillon a real, you know, power bomb in the crowds. Oh my god! It, it, you know, for you know, there's not you don't hear many super pops from those days. You know, it was you know because I don't for whatever reason. Like now, you hear them like the modern day super pop Hogan and Goldberg uh, at the Georgia Dome. Like yeah, Rock and Hogan at Mania. Yeah, when they're going ro- yeah. Rock, Stone Hogan. Cold Rock. You know, th- th- those those are those are pops. Oh, Stone Cold had yeah. a, a, a lot of pops. Uh, yeah. Although he's blocked me on Twitter because of my affiliation with uh, Roddy, kind of bumps me out. But it's the fan. Yeah, and you know, I mean, I I've been in the ring many many times for Cena and Taker and Sean and you know all the others, man. And and those are those are true pops, man. Edge, I mean, just it, it's crazy. Randy Orton, I mean, Ric Flair. Oh, I mean, Flair, we dude, could go on forever. Like, yeah, yeah. So you know, I, I've been in the ring and I I know what a pop is. So when kids tell me, you know, about their pop, I go, sorry. Yeah. I think kids today don't, uh, you know, when they tell me what good music is, oh boy, that's not good music. What bands are you listening to today? I got to be honest with you. I'm old school. I I, st- I saw Stephen Pierce at the Whiskey Friday night, basically rat. Yeah, uh, okay. um, you ever heard of a band called Dirty Honey? How about you, B? Dirty Honey? Dude, they're so good. They're an LA band. And what kind so of good. genre? Kind of. Do um, you remember Scorpio? A band called Scorpion Child, two thousand. Mm-hmm. Well, kind of like that hippie rocker psychedelic okay. vibe. Very good band, man. Good singer. Ooh, this guy's good. Uh, and the Struts. The Struts, Struts are great. Struts um, are great, man. Luke Spiller. You know. I'm a big Killers fan. Uh, I never got into the Killers. Have you seen them live? Never. That I've met the guys. You. I've met the guys. They're mad cool, but I've never heard the music or I never, you know, got into anything. I mean, I was the same way until an ex girlfriend took me to see. I was a big, am a big Weezer fan, and uh, so I went to see Weezer. She went to see the Killers, who were playing after them, and so the Killers are about to come on. I said, "I'm going to go to the bathroom." So stay for the first song. I'm like, "Nah, I know that one song. Somebody told me, you know, yeah. that's like their rock and roll all night." Like stay for the first song, and they came out to this song called "The Man," which I'm surprised a wrestler is not used as their theme song. And I've been a fan ever since. Live, they are—they have that Kiss-like quality of uh, just the, the, all the bells and whistles. And they're probably a tighter band than Kiss from, yeah. from the standpoint of technical. Uh, Kiss is a very good band with Tommy and Eric. Man, I, I really 100%. think that Kiss is Kiss. I mean. And people go, oh, I hate Tommy, I hate, I hate Eric or, or whatever. But no, dude, for me, as a Kiss fan, I love the original lineup. Always will. Sure. Always will, especially a Kiss nerd. But to me, 
Tommy and Eric are doing the music justice and playing the music that we heard and we loved. I mean, I think Tommy is a great, uh, I don't want to say impressionist, but he's a great guitar player in his own right. 100%. Black and blue, man. The black oh. and blue stuff he did. I think Gene ruined him when he started producing. That's another podcast. Uh, ooh, he he produced Ron Kill. And what Gene did to Ron Kill is what Ron Kill did to Blitzkrieg. I, you know, I appreciate Gene for being a businessman and wanting his fingers in multiple honey pots. So when his eventual stage performance, uh, at some point, he's going to, you know, can't be 80 wearing that shit. Uh, although Gene will try. Uh, you know, I, You'd think he'd have this great producing mind, you know, since his own band has achieved. Like, Kiss is Paul Stanley. I'm a, I'm, I like Paul's songs better. The, yeah, Paul, Paul is Kiss. He really is. And Paul has always been my favorite. I loved Ace for, for a minute, but Paul Stanley is always going to be Kiss. I mean, that, that, nothing happens in Kiss without Paul Stanley. That's his band. Because if you look at the 80s, I mean, you, you'll agree, too, is, you know, during that whole time, Gene was off being a movie star and making movies and producing and doing all this other stuff where he and Paul even talks about it in his book, you know, that Gene left him out to, you know, to do it on his own. And and he did. And pretty much if you animalize Asylum, those records, I mean, they're pretty much Paul Stanley solo records because Gene was nowhere to be found. Well, that's my favorite era of Kiss. And that's something I'm not going to Chris Gene. Jericho, same thing. He loves that era. Well, well a Excuse lot of me. people don't just because it's not Ace and Peter. But, but you know, it's Kiss, man. And, and for me, I love the, the, the two non-makeup albums that I just absolutely love are Asylum and Revenge. The, those two records I love for, for different reasons. Yeah, you know? no, I mean... The, but, well, but those songs were... I mean, Asylum... King of the Mountain, Who Wants to Be Lonely. I mean, you know, just some great tunes. That's that Desmond Child, Bubblegum. Uh, yeah. I'm, Hot in the Shade, Hide Your Heart. Yeah, Hot in the Shade's a weird album because apparently it was all demos. Like, yeah. that was their... Tommy Thayer played on a lot of that stuff, too. I think a lot of people... I think a lot of people not named Kiss played on that album. Psycho Circus, the same thing, you know? That was a yeah, great drumming by Kevin Valentine. Oh, who's a great dude, too. I'm sure he is, but he ain't... You know, don't put a, don't put Peter's picture on the album then. Yeah, but you know, a lot Peter of, only played on "Into the Void." That was the only song Ace played on too. No, just like Creatures. I mean, it wasn't Ace; it was all Vinny and Robin Ford and Steve Ferris. Steve Ferris playing the solo on Creatures. Uh, well, I could get on Creatures. You wanted the illusion of Ace still being in the band, although I would have been fine with Vinny's picture on the uh, the album. Which I think there is a a uh, uh, import bootleg of it, um, and there's also one with Bruce, which never made any sense. The remaster from 1985. Yeah, I never got that. I was like, why, why, why would you do this? You know, I think. But uh, you know, it, it was a record company thing, is what it was. Yeah, which is why Ace's uh, picture was on the, uh, I guess, the American pressing because it's like, yeah. I think they had a. Uh, Stipulation in their contract with at the time Casablanca. I don't. I don't know. Polygram was, uh, was creatures on Polygram or Casablanca. It was actually the first record on Mercury. Uh, I think. How do I know this shit? I, this <laughs> is why I haven't made it as a comic. We're doing an in-depth. Uh, anyone who knows Steve Ferris played on Creatures of the Night is like, I should work on jokes. Uh, yeah. 
or care about Sid and the Warriors so much. I should mm. put that energy in the stand-up, but uh, it's who we are. It is, man. Uh, I mean, Marty, I could go on forever with you guys, Brian. Like, yeah. I mean, I hope you come back. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Because I'm a, so we're at almost a two-hour mark, which Ooh. is uh, time flies when you're having fun, bro. I mean, this goes to it's not work. Like I've got to be honest with you, and I'll name the name because. Uh, we are over the two hour mark. This wow. is has uh, it been two hours? That's insane. I've we, never done an interview two hours. Well, we have 300 and this will be the 360th episode. Uh, I would say maybe five have gone the two hour mark. Wow. Thank um, you. What's well, just chemistry between the three yeah, of us? I'm, it's I'm, similar. I'm, well, we're, the, we're the same age. Yeah. We're top five, man. That's um, awesome. You know, there's only been one interview that was a struggle and I, I'm going to mention the name I appreciate this woman coming over to the podcast. And I was really excited. It was Bobby Brown, Cherry Pie. Mm. And uh, she brought her boyfriend at the time. So I couldn't ask her the wacky questions about, you know, hey, how big was Tommy Lee's? Blah, blah, blah. Or Leonardo DiCaprio. I mean, she had had a nice run. Nice resume. But uh, yes, a nice resume. Uh, but I, I didn't feel comfortable with the boyfriend there. And, uh, she didn't want to talk about the cherry pie video, which I get to a degree. You're, you're probably sick of asking, hey, how was that video when they squirt the whipped cream on you? And she didn't want to talk about being on Star Search. So I'm like, I read her book out of respect mm -hmm. and she didn't want to talk about anything. So there's it a tough interview. That was about mm -hmm. 47 minutes. And it was the longest 47 minutes. And I was, she looked beautiful still. So uh, thank you, Bobby Brown, for coming over. Guys, this is where we plug our stuff. Where can people find you in the internet world? Uh, internet world. Again, like I mentioned on the Comedy Store podcast, I have a love-hate relationship with social media. I'll disappear for months at a time or whatever, just for my own sanity. But right now, catch me. I'm on Instagram, uh, at Marty underscore Elias underscore one. And Facebook is just Marty Elias. I have Snapchat you know, which is at Marty Elias six is what it is. I believe, uh, don't quote me on that, but just look <laughs> me up. You'll see me. Um, and that's pretty much it. I mean, I have uh, young rock that we're going to be completing in the next few weeks. And then after that sky's the limit, man. So, uh, yeah, good to go. How about you, Brian? Yes, Brian, get your shit out. I don't have a lot of shit to get out. Um, I don't really, uh, you know, I do. I ate at the comedy store last night. <laughs> I'm on Facebook. Um, I don't. I don't really do much on Instagram, but I'm at Instagram uh, at the real B dog B E E D O G. I just throw up, you know, all my wrestling. If I see friends, you know, I'll take pictures with them at signings and stuff. And I've got maybe 15 posts at the most on there. But yeah, the at the real B dog on Instagram. That's about all. You know. I haven't done Twitter. I don't do Snapchat. I don't do, you know, that's where I am. I mean, I was on Snapchat and then, you know, I have, for whatever reason, even though I'm in my 50s, I have a young fan base because uh, my comedy is pretty juvenile. My niece and nephew smartened me up to that and go, oh, you should do it. You should do it. So, Isis and little Ruben, thank you for that. So, yeah. I, I mean, I'm on TikTok and like I, like I said, I get these really uh, uh, young fans and I, I'm uncomfortable talking to, you know, anyone under 40, let alone 20. And 
19 and 18 and, and, and like i have this 14 year old like filipino uh boy uh who's like fan of my comedy and i'm like you should not be listening to my comedy at 14 <laughs> put on the cd in four more years kid uh you know just real quick i want to throw oh, something please. which i i absolutely just i popped huge for it uh my brother and sister-in-law my brother ruben and his wife jessica they they were telling a story the other day and going about comedy and young kids. My nephew, Ruben Jr., who's 10 years old, was adamant and begging them to get Jeffy the puppet uh, puppets and stuff. And they were like, well, OK, well, this is something we found. So my brother and sister-in-law were so unaware of what Jeffy the puppet is. <laughs> so so they got the puppets and they got the doctor. They got Jeffy. They got all these different puppets and stuff. And they had no idea what Jeffy episodes were like until they said, well, he's really a big fan of this. So let's look at it. Let's see what, it, what it's about. And when they found out what Jeffy the puppet is, they were appalled by it. Yeah. But kudos for my nephew, who's 10 years old, <laughs> to get the puppets and stuff and be watching this at 10 years old. Yeah, Great I mean, stuff, man. I'm not a, a Karen or whatever you want to call it, but I, I believe in my case, my humor should be well, 18 and up. Yeah. I'm not terribly dirty, but, uh, you know, some of the roast jokes I've said are, you know, not meant for uh, younger ears. Yeah. So, cause I've had parents come and say, Hey, will you roast my kid? I'm like, well, I, I don't, have you seen my roast? I don't think you want that, but, uh, I thank you guys both for thank doing this. Thank you, man. This uh, is a pleasure, bro. You know, I so think much we went fun. longer than, uh, the comedy store podcast. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely, man. So any just don't get bored and uh, you know just enjoy it for what it is. Well, that's the great thing about podcasts now. They we get to expose each other to each other's fan bases and yeah, um, absolutely. Podcasts are the new radio and TV shows of of this. You know, the Gen Z crowd doesn't watch TV; they listen to podcasts. Yeah, Joe Rogan and yeah. Kevin Nash has a great podcast. And, and I'm predicting now that your podcast will be at that level sooner than later, bro. I mean, I'm putting it out there. I messed up because I could have gone on Rogan and I'm too nice. So Joe asked me to be on it just a couple of years ago. He's like, Hey, call me tomorrow. We'll set it up. And I thought, you know, everyone calls him tomorrow. Gimme, gimme, gimme. I want something from him. So I'm going to give him two days. Give him a one day off of not someone wanting something from him. So I call him in two days and he kind of forgot. He told me to come on the podcast. So. Never up. say never, bro. You know, I'm too nice. You know where nice guys finish, right? Last, 100%. And in the shower. <laughs> and on that note, uh, inappropriate Earl, to get us to Rogan's level, tweet this stuff out. Share it. It's free. I just interviewed two great dudes for over two hours. All I'm asking the fans, I'm not asking for money. Although I am on Patreon now. I've got four patrons. I'm horrible at it. I'm horrible at asking for money, which is why most comedy venues are like, hey, let's go to Earl. He never really asked to be paid. Um, <laughs> follow Marty. Follow Brian. You know, it's just how it works. It's a follow. Subscribe to the... You guys don't have podcasts, do you? Uh, I had one called Life After Three. If you want to go see some cool episodes, me and, me and Chavo, me and Paul Rome, it's called Life After Three. It was on the Kill Cliff Network. Uh, what was which, it called? Uh, Life After Three podcast with Mario Elias on the Kill Cliff. And again, speaking of Rogan, Rogan's part owner of Kill Cliff. And, uh, you know, so I did, 
I think three or four episodes. And again, I just, it was just too much for me at that point. So, you know, maybe I'll, I'll think about doing something different. I mean, it is, uh, well, this podcast isn't a lot of work because I love doing it, but uh, when you get to Rogan's level, it, I mean, he gets presidents and, yeah. you know, Triple H, uh, or, I don't, I'm not sure. Triple Undertaker H. was there. Yeah, he did a great interview with the, Paul Stanley. He did yeah. a great, because uh, he's, Rogan's a big kiss man. Oh, yeah. We um, all are. So I get uh, the fourth bass player from Dawkins. So uh, no wonder you can't find my podcast on any format. But uh, inappropriate Earl, uh, Apple Podcast, leave a review. It's 10 seconds. I love it. Oh, Marty was great. Brian was great. It's 10 seconds to do that. Free. Inappropriate Earl will be back uh, next week with Brant Myers, NHL hockey player. We go over his addiction problems from addiction to NHL enforcer. And now he's doing some other stuff. So please watch out for that. And follow me at Earl Skakel, even on TikTok.